Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 227, Grasso versus Shevchenko 2, also known as Noche UFC. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Uh, we were talking just a few minutes before we started recording, and I kind of let out that I thought on paper this was an absolutely miserable card and I was ready to go jumping in with all my reasons why all these fighters coming off losses multiple fighters debuting who lost on the contender series and got signed anyway which kind of defeats the purpose of the contender series and then in the last five minutes while we've been just kind of getting ready to record I stopped in my tracks and I realized wait a minute this is a free fight night if this were a pay-per-view card, which I forget that it isn't because it has that title fight at the top. This is all-timer bad, but yeah. for a card that's going to be on regular cable, even if it's at a full-size arena instead of the Apex, I mean, I'm still not giving it, giving it an A+, but considering that there's a pretty evenly matched title fight at the top featuring one of the most dominant fighters in the sport... Yeah, this is a minus territory to me. I, I still yeah. think the rest <laughs> yeah. of the card is pretty mediocre, even by fight night standards. But Grasso versus Shevchenko too, for free does wonders. Yeah, you know what the UFC? I, I know they're trying to do this special thing on Mexico and and all this stuff. <laughs> but you know what they should have done is take the Grasso Shevchenko fight and take Holland and. Madalena and put it on last week's card. Especially, I mean, Madalena, that fight in, in Australia makes no sense to begin with, yeah. you know? And then that's a pretty decent pay-per-view. Like, we were complaining about the pay-per-view not being, you know, the, the most stacked and, and this and that. But those two fights on there completely oh, changes. Absolutely. And Holland versus Della Madalena is one of the few fights on this card that doesn't feature a Hispanic fighter. They, To the UFC's credit, they didn't put this card in Mexico, but they did get a bunch of Mexican and Latin American fighters on there. And then a good number of Hispanic American fighters who clearly identify very closely with their Hispanic heritage. And then they dress it up calling it Noche UFC, which on the one hand is cringy as hell, but on the other hand, it's a little more interesting than UFC Vegas 78 or whatever this was going to be. So I'm, I'm all over the place on this one. Uh, did you give a letter grade to this one? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the top two fights kind of carry it, but yeah, it's a fight night with a, with a title fight. So I'll, I'll go like an A minus two. Okay. South of those top two fights, name me the fight or the individual fighter that you're most excited for. Like uh, if, if you're the praying yeah. type and you're just praying that please don't let this fight fall off the card. What is it? That's one I'm definitely worried about too. Is, uh, Cortez and, and Jess Vicious. I think, I think, you know, I like fighters that could do things in the division and just vision has been a really nice surprise. And obviously Cortez is someone that a lot of people are very high on. So that, that's probably the fight I'd be leaning towards. I actually the one I'd pick as well. So uh, if you were doing a better job in your uh, third job, you know, I, I know you have, of course your police work, which is very important. You have 
the Shillin and Duffy show, which is even more important. And then most important of all, you are the card order organizer yeah. for the UFC. I, I'm doing terrible. Doing, having that one third yeah, I, out of the yeah. game. And we got Raul Rosas Jr. and Terrence Mitchell both coming off losses third from the top. Uh, I understand that Raul Rosas, I mean, he's such a, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a novelty, you know, based on well, the story and his age. That, like, I understand. Like, he's yeah, still going to yeah. have hype. and So that one's okay, but. I mean, like Kyle Nelson on the main card. I mean, over, you know, court, you know, the Cortez and Jess Vicious. The, uh, I think I think uh, Lupe Godinez versus Elise Reed could be higher. Like, like the order is really, really wacky. It, it's whacked, and it may change. I just, I just say wacky in Spanish. Uh, I would just say loco. Loco, yeah, hey guys, loco. It's not loco. There's every chance that the the lineup might shuffle a little bit between now Monday night when we're recording and Saturday, because another little bit of news about this card is that it was gutted. It lost three of its best fights within the last couple months. We were supposed to have Chris Curtis versus Anthony Hernandez on this card. We lost it when Curtis dropped out. We were supposed to have Shavkat Rachmanov versus Kelvin Gastelum on this card. Gastelum got injured in training, which probably just saved him getting injured in the cage uh we had supposed to have daniel rodriguez versus santiago ponzanibio on this card which even if both those guys are on the downslide would have been absolute blood and guts we lost all those and that's part of the reason i think that stuff like the padilla and nelson fight leaked their way up to the you know they kind of made their way up or just by not getting canceled and then the strawweight women's fights on this card were basically musical chairs uh, we'll, we'll talk about each of those fights as we get to them, but basically they just took all the women that were left and kind of drew their names out of a hat. Uh, any other general thoughts about this card before we dig into the prelims? No, um, it just the more you say, you know, all these fights, it just keeps making me think that they should have combined these two cards together. I would have loved that, but you know what? Combining cards together does not get the UFC to its quota of 40 ESPN cards a year or whatever they're, they're on the hook for. So uh, we, we get what we get. And as long as it's free, we at least temper our complaints. At least as the card is set up as of right now, the first fight out of the gate at Noche UFC is a women's strawweight matchup between Josephine Knudsen and Marnik Mann. Knudsen, the 27-year-old Swede, is a perfect 6-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. She will be making her debut here. She fought on August 22nd on the Contender Series, taking a unanimous decision over Isis Verbeek. She'll be facing off against a fellow Contender Series veteran in Man. The 30-year-old Montana native fought last September on the Contender Series, got memorably knocked out by a head kick from Bruno Brazil, one of the highlights of the sixth season of the Contender Series. She went back to the regionals, picked up a win in LFA in April, and here she gets the short notice call up replacing Yasmin Lucindo. Odds heavily favor the Swede. She is minus 475, man plus 350. I understand, Keith, why that line is what it is. I kind of buried the lead here. If you're unfamiliar, if you didn't see her on the Contender Series, because, of course, they talked about it then, what you need to know about Josephine Knudsen is she is a world Muay Thai champ. She was the world 
Muay Thai champ in 2018. She was a medalist in 2019. She's a very decorated kickboxer, one of the top pound for pound kickboxers in those lower weight classes over uh, the last five years or so. And she's facing someone in man who's most famous for getting kicked right in the damn face. Uh, <laughs> The good news about Marduk Man is <laughs> the good news about Marduk Man is she picked herself up after the contender series and she went and got a win over Amber Brown. Amber Brown is a veteran. She's a good name, but Brown kind of like possibly man herself is really an atom weight. Uh, Marduk Man is probably one of the two or three shortest women in the UFC. She's not skinny and rangy like Brown. I mean, she is kind of stocky and powerfully built. She might not be able to make 105 pounds, but she's definitely going to be at a height and reach disadvantage to everybody she fights, certainly including uh, Knudsen, who is a pretty average sized uh, straw weight. Everyone remembers the knockout on the contender series, but she wasn't doing that badly up to that point. I actually was kind of surprised at how well she was holding her own in the striking. I was mostly frustrated that she had tried the stupid headlock scarfold throw like three times and it hadn't worked any of, of them. If she tries any of that stuff on Newton, she's toast. Uh, nice things about Josephine Newton for someone who has transitioned to MMA fairly recently. She seems to have had it, ha had it hammered into her by her coaches. Everyone's going to want to take you down. This is what you do about it. Uh, which makes sense. She's training out of a very good gym in all stars or, you know, she's there with Alexander Gustafsson, Hamzat Shemaev, you know, some, some outstanding uh, fighters and, and uh, training partners. But, you know, if you watch her, her fights leading up to the contender series and on the contender series, most women need to clinch to get a takedown. There just, there just aren't many women that shoot takedowns from the outside. There's just, you know, there, there's not as robust a high school and college wrestling culture. So she understands that most of her opponents are going to want to take her down. She understands that most of them are going to need to clinch with her in order to do so. And so like a Muay Thai champ, she tends to own the clinch. She initiates it if she can tell people are coming in. She stays busy punishing them with knees. Uh, she has really nice uh, punches kind of over and under the, the collar tie if people are trying to grab at her. She just she doesn't make it a comfortable place. If if Marnik Mann walks up and tries to clinch and get the scarf hold arm lock throw, I think she's going to get pummeled. Uh, Mann isn't as bad as her results on the Contender Series made her look, but this is a bad matchup for her. She's, uh, you know, short, stocky, pretty hard swinging, but really does like to clinch and try to get takedowns from the clinch. I don't think they're going to be there for her. It would be too much to ask for Knudsen to get a highlight real walk-off knockout like Bruno Brazil did on the Contender Series, but I think she's definitely getting a knockout here. Uh, this isn't going to be the kind of fight where she's going to have to sit back and just outpoint her to a 30-27 decision. Um, man's going to have to press the issue, and she's going to pay for it. Give me Knudsen by second round knockout here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, this this is easy to say that it's 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 striker versus grappler, but that's that's pretty easy to say. Uh, you mentioned Knudsen being a Muay Thai striker or world champion. What, what What is more like prestigious that that world championship or the Kentucky judo federation title. <laughs> Honestly, when people mentioned to me, like, I know that was a big joke, but people mentioned to me like Muay Thai world champion. I'm like, I'm at the point when you throw a Muay Thai 
I just know the world the word answer is gonna be world champion. <laughs> like that's just is who who's who's not a world champion in Muay Thai that does Muay Thai? Just I, I, I don't know. I, I I don't follow Muay Thai, so maybe she is very very prestigious. I just um okay. Uh, what what I've seen of her, she's she's a she's a good counter striker, uh, high guard defense. She draws out attacks pretty well with her feints. Uh, she's got a good check left hook. Uh, she hits hard. She does load up a little bit too much uh, for my liking. Uh, with the check left hook, what I do love that she does is she'll double it up. Like she'll throw a left hook and then follow again with a left hook, uh, which is a little unusual. Um, because of that, it lands. Uh, obviously. Uh, a lot of kicks, uh, especially from her lead leg. Uh, she likes push kicks. She has such great like dexterity in a kick. She'll throw like a very fast high kick. Uh, we saw that at her last match on the tennis series. She dropped her opponent like immediately with like a lead, like just like just flipped it out almost like a uh, question mark kick. Uh, she's very physically strong. Uh, you mentioned she can grind in the clinch, uh, and, and I like that you didn't, you mentioned that she'll, she'll be the one to initiate it. Uh, she can wrestle better than you think uh, a striker. I, I've seen her get some takedowns. Uh, that's because she's very physically strong. You can see, I mean, there's going to be a big difference in the phys, the physique of both these women. Um, more in height, and, but just, just the way they're built. Uh, she's She's got some mean grind upon, though she, she does need to – you know, I, I agree that her takedown defense is, is is been solid, but she definitely needs to improve it. And and Marnik Van is someone who's going to go after and going to try to take her down and try to submit her. Uh, and obviously, she's not a submission threat at all. Marnik Van, you mentioned she's only five feet tall. Uh, besides, you know, being short, she's not a great athlete either. Uh, she will try to get in the pocket and then load some shots. She works like a jab to get in there. Uh, she throws a lot of left hooks. They're kind of winging, uh, but she's very. Like defensive ball, very hittable. Uh, not much of a kicking game. Uh, she tends to lack head movement. Uh, she also pillars, which uh, is the first time listening. That's just like very like hiding behind your forearms, which you know I, I I'm not a big fan of. Uh, but all everything she does in her striking is just to close the distance. She wants to get the clinch herself, uh, where she actually kind of uses her her short base to kind of get underneath her opponent, use that leverage there. Uh, to get the fight to the ground. Uh, she's also good at landing knees, like using her her strength and landing knees inside. Uh, a lot of her takedowns come from the body lock. She likes up body throws. She'll go. She'll do that headlock throw. Uh, she'll even pull guard. I've seen her pull guard in a fight to get the fight to the ground. Uh, she's definitely not, she's not a strong wrestler. She's not going to sh- drive through your hips, but she's you know she's definitely a BJJ practitioner. Uh, her last fight against Amber Round, she moved well to the to the mount, got some back takes. Uh, she chained submissions together. Uh, which I like. Uh, she will, you know, if she's on top, lay some grind upon to set up some submissions. Uh, but she can be too aggressive. Like in the fight against Amber Brown, she lost, uh, lost position, actually gave up her back uh, at one point. So uh, obviously this is a classic striker versus grappler. I'm leaning towards the striker in this one. Uh, I, I say nuts and batters her on the feet. She's much bigger. She's much faster. Uh, I think she lands some strikes on the feet. I definitely she lands a kick. Uh, other than that one high kick, knockout uh man hasn't really been put out with strikes and and nutson really uh, you know being so decorated she's she's not a power puncher uh but i'm i just <laughs> she throws that kick so fast and i i've seen man defend the kick i'm gonna i'm gonna say it happens to get there i say nutson uh wins my first round tko with a high kick next up lightweights take the cage as Alex Reyes brings his remarkable story and tries to write a new chapter to it against Charlie Campbell. Reyes, the 36-year-old Californian, is 13-3 and overall. 
He is 0-1 in the UFC. Uh, he got knocked out in his UFC debut uh, by Mike Perry. And that should give you a little clue as to where we're going from here because that fight was almost exactly six years ago. Since then, Reyes has been sidelined by some literally life and limb threatening health issues. He had a uh, osteomyelitis, which is a severe bone infection that in a lot of cases requires removal of diseased bone. In his case, it affected his spine, which makes it difficult to operate on and could have, uh, could again have affected his ability to walk, let alone fight. He finally got a clean bill of health uh, last year was scheduled to make his return to the UFC back in February, I believe. He had to withdraw from that one for medical issues, whether those were a separate injury in training or something related to his uh, chronic health issues, I'm not exactly sure. But here he finally does make his second appearance in the octagon, finally at his uh, designated weight class because his fight against Perry was up a weight class on short notice of all things. He had been scheduled to fight Natan Levy. Levy was forced to withdraw, so uh, in comes the debuting Campbell. 28-year-old New York native is 7-2 overall. He fought on the Contender Series just a little over a year ago, getting knocked out in the first round. So he went back to CFFC, picked up a win in June, and gets the call here to replace Levy. Good news for him is he is an overwhelming favorite. Despite being the short notice call up, despite being the guy who lost on the contender series, uh, he is minus 400, Reyes plus 300. Uh, Keith, I'm going to flip this one to you first, maybe to remind these people who the heck Alex Reyes is, tell them a little about Charlie Campbell. And man, can you imagine what the line would have been if it had been Levy against Reyes? Yeah, what was, what was, um, would you say? Campbell's, Campbell's minus 400. Yeah, Levy was probably negative 800. I, seriously, I, I'm on a human level, it would be a cool human interest story, like the end of a Cinderella Man type movie if Reyes comes back and gets a win in the UFC, even if it's on the prelims of an iffy fight <laughs> night. And <laughs> He still has a better chance of Dominic Reyes getting a win. So. <laughs> <laughs> Dominic Reyes versus Carlos Olberg coming soon to a... Yeah, work no. near you. <laughs> Dominic, wanted, Dominic might want to call his brother Alex and take care of that one. <laughs> I, sit, sit that one out. Yeah, I mean, it would be a Rudy type story if Reyes were to get a win here. So on some level, I'm rooting for that as a human story because what happens after that doesn't matter. That's when it cuts to credits. You know, it's not like Rudy went on to play in the NFL or or, or anything. You know, it's it's not like uh, what's his name from Cinderella Man had a long title reign it's just you know they made it to their one night of glory does reyes get his one night of glory here what's this fight end up looking like man if, if he wins do they carry him off out of the octagon on on, on dominic's shoulders like you know <laughs> uh and joe montana starts bashing him like 20 years later uh <laughs> side note that rudy is my uh my dad's favorite movie Anyways, uh, and, and, and of course, I got to be the asshole and be like, hey, you know that Joe Montana says that, that uh, Rudy wasn't that good of a dude, <laughs> and, and uh, the team really didn't like him, and like, ruined, the, ruined the movie, and like, half the stuff in the movie is made up. That's not how it happened. Uh, yeah, uh, 
so this is kind of what happened. So you kind of have to spare some time. And I'm like, oh, let's see. The guy who hasn't fought in six years or Natan Levy. And I'm like, Natan Levy's really good. He's going to smash him. So I didn't do much tape study. And then all of a sudden, Charlie Campbell comes at the last minute. And I'm like, oh, shit. And, and I had to scramble. Uh, oh, one thing I didn't address. I apologize for not addressing there. We're doing we're taping this a day late. That was again on me. I'm sorry. So basically, anytime we tape late, it's on me. So we're just I, I just say I apologize for every time we do that. Um, so I get that out of the way. All right. I, I can't, yesterday was my birthday. You could have blamed it on me. Yeah, but you're doing it's too not much true. Stand up. It's, it's it's not true though. <laughs> like yeah. this guy was willing to like ah big milestone birthday. I'll still do it. Me, I'm like ah, I'm kind of busy today. Uh, uh, <laughs> If it makes you feel like that, I was on like three hours of sleep by last night. I would have been who knows who I would who I would have been picking. Uh, Alex Reyes. I mean, the guy's thirty six years old. He, it's not that he hasn't won in six years. He hasn't even fought in six years. The card he fought on was Luke Rockhold versus David Branch card. Gilbert Burns was in the opening fight of the card. <laughs> That's how long ago this was. Uh, I know he had his... Mike Perry was still the the rising terror of the division. Yeah, we didn't know that Mike Perry was black then. Like that's how, like long ago that yeah. was, you know. Um, so, I know he's de- he's dealt with tons of injuries, and and I was not making a joke, and some of them were really serious. Like I know he had like a spinal injury, and he had like E. coli or something. I I, I don't even know. I don't know. If yeah, that's... no, he had like osteomyelitis, that bone infection in his spine. Yeah, yeah, like that sounds really, really serious, and I'm making jokes about it. Every fighter that has a serious, serious condition always says, you know, they told me I'd never walk again because it makes their story sound cooler coming back to fight. But it's more true in the case of Reyes than in most. Yeah, yeah. I I was just telling you guys the other day about me tearing my bicep. It was funny. The doctor told me I'd never walk again. (laughs) Right, when I tore my bicep, and, and there I was. Keith used to walk on his hands everywhere. <laughs> He's had to walk on his feet ever since, you know. <laughs> um, for, all right, so I'm, I'm judging him off of six years ago. Like, you know, um, he moved well. He's very unorthodox striker. He throws from, like, weird angles, really wings his punches. Uh, he does have some pretty good power. Uh, throws a lot of kicks. He can wrestle, but I mean, it's all come down. You know, all the striking is to get to go to the ground. He's a very good grappler. Like he's good submission threat. Um, yeah, he's the grappler in the family, which is funny that Dominic and, and Alex fight so differently. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, yeah, I know he runs a business, so that I hope the business is doing well. Uh, Charlie Campbell, not a. Not a, not a guy I'm really excited about coming to the UFC. I mean, he's, he's a minus athlete, very also unorthodox, very herky-jerky, kind of like a Vulcan Ustamir style striker, even like moves like him, like not the greatest athlete. Uh, uh, tight boxing, uh, good power. I, I mean, he, he he knocked out his last opponent dead. Uh, he didn't have a bad show on the, on the contender series because Duncan, Chris Duncan had a comeback win on him. I mean, he almost starched Chris Duncan about five times in that fight. Uh, he's got some hard kicks. He throws a lot of kicks. He, he does throw some kicks, doesn't set him up, so he's open to get countered from that. Uh, he also pillars, which, you know, I, I'm not a fan of. He lacks head movement, doesn't really check leg kicks. He doesn't, he doesn't have much of a ground. He can, he can, they can get a takedown here and there. Uh, he, he's, you know, okay defensive wrestler. Like, nothing really stands out to me. Like, jiu-jitsu is okay. Um, not not to, I think Ray should have a big advantage in the jiu-jitsu. I, I mean, this is such a tough fight to pick because, I mean, Reyes wasn't the guy that we were super excited about even six years ago. So, and, and, and Campbell's the same way. So there's two guys I'm not really excited about. 
and then you add in that we haven't seen this guy in six years. I don't think you have uh, some disease to your spine that Ben said the fancy word that I, I can't say and get six years older and become better. Like, I, I don't expect that. Um, so, I mean, if he gets the fight to the ground, he should have a big advantage. It just Campbell hits hard, and last time he faced someone who hits hard was Mike Perry, and Mike Perry starts him. I think it kind of happens the same thing again. I say Campbell catches them early. I say Campbell puts them out. So Campbell by first round knockout. I, that's as good a guess as mine. You laid out really well that we're we're making a pick here in the presence of serious unknowns. The last time I felt this clueless coming into a preview is when. I did the road to UFC ones where it was a bunch of uh, Asian fighters that all had five career fights, really short fights against low level fighters in Asian regional scenes. And and I was like, "Ah, this is my best guess based on what I've seen. That's how I feel here. It's Alex Reyes six years later. And as you pointed out, even if he got a complete full bill of health, even if the doctor told him six months ago, okay, you are as good as you ever were before you got sick. I mean, six years older, but as good as you ever were. It's not like he's been training most of those years. Literally, the whole problem was he was in terrible pain and had trouble moving and was uh, taking a bunch of medications to try to kill this infection. So even more than most fighters between age 30 and age 36, I would be surprised if there weren't some some decline in his physical gifts. I'm not super high on Campbell either. When I first kind of started looking at his fights, I saw a guy that had two TKOs via leg kicks in his early career, including one in his, uh, in, like both of his appearances in Bellator, one of which I, I saw at the time because I must have been doing something for the site. And I thought, okay, this must be lightweight Pat Barry just coming out there and sawing people off. But the funny thing is, outside of those two fights, he's just sort of a regular leg kicker. Like, he throws enough of them, and he throws them pretty hard. But it's just in those two fights, he he started throwing them. It seemed to be working. The guys didn't adjust, and then he really went to town on them. It, it didn't – like, it, it doesn't define who he is as a striker. If he starts kicking it at Reyes' legs, hell, there, there's every chance it should work. But, yeah, he's just kind of a decent regional fighter who's getting a chance here. And I think the the main thing it hinges on is kind of what you said. Campbell's aggressive and hits hard and does throw a variety of strikes. That stacked up against all the unknowns about Reyes and the fact that the one known thing about Reyes is that he got leveled by the last hard-hitting guy he took on, yeah, that spells probably early knockout for uh, Campbell as well. I'm going to go with Campbell by first-round KO uh, here too, but if I were a betting man, I'd steer way clear of this. We head now to the women's flyweight division for a matchup between Tracy Cortez and Jasmine Yazdabisius. Cortez, the 29-year-old Arizona native, is 10-1 and overall. She's on a 10-fight win streak. Uh, she got tapped out in her debut. Since then, she has strung together 10 straight wins. Keith will sound off on that uh, in a few minutes here. But officially, 10 straight wins. 
the last five of which comprise her appearance on season three of Dana White's Contender Series and her unblemished uh, first four fights in the UFC. She fought most recently back in May of last year at UFC 274, taking a unanimous decision over Melissa Gatto. She's been on the shelf ever since, so it's going to be uh, close to a year and a half since her last appearance in the cage. That's been a period of time that by her own statements has been full of some personal turmoil and then a, a few health issues as well, but she's back. She claims to be feeling uh, as good as she ever has in her entire career. That is, of course, what you expect a fighter to say ahead of their comeback fight. But nonetheless, she's carrying all that momentum into uh, the matchup with Yazdavisius. 34-year-old Ontario native is 9-2 and two overall. She is 3-1 and one since joining the UFC out of Season 5 of the Contender Series. She's on a two-fight win streak with unanimous decisions over Gabriela Fernandez and Miranda Maverick. The most recent of those, the Maverick fight, was at UFC 289 back in June. Odds here, Keith, the favorite is minus 120. The underdog is even money, plus 100. Who are they? Uh, well, one, I'm surprised the, the line is this close. Um, I Cortez is the favorite. Cortez is the favorite. Tracy Cortez is minus 120. Jasmine Yazdavisius plus 100 as your wow. uh, very slight underdog. Keith, you're on record for any people that have watched our show more than a few times as believing she should have lost the fight that she won over Aaron Blanchfield by split decision back yeah, in her last fight victim, back in, in 2019. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, you're you also seem to think Cortez actually is a good and skilled fighter. She just oh, absolutely shouldn't have won that night. Yeah. I, and I agree on both counts. Uh, I I didn't remember having an opinion about the Blanchfield fight one way or the other at the time, but I went back and watched it on Fight Pass. I think after the first time you kind of sounded off about it. And I, I couldn't agree more. I thought uh, I thought Blanchfield pretty clearly won two rounds out of the three. But should I call it a robbery? Because I've, I've been told that I don't call anything a robbery. <laughs> I t I, and That's I'm, pretty funny. I'm so <laughs> Shout out to the guy who shooted that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> He's right, though. He's absolutely right. <laughs> but I'm. I'm actually leaning towards Yazdavisius here. It, it, we're not talking about a huge upset and this line might migrate the other way, but in what is going to turn out to be a theme on this card that we come back to over and over again. Yes, the is someone that I am realizing that I've underestimated. Uh, it's not like I had her entire skill set pegged wrong. She's a wrestler who wants to wrestle, wants to get wins with just kind of takedowns, top control, ground and pound. We'll take a submission if it presents itself. Just, I, I underestimated how good she is at it. Uh, she's big and strong. I thought she was unathletic, but I think she's a little more athletic than I thought. Uh, I think she's a little better striker than I thought. I thought she looked really clumsy and awkward on the feet in CFFC, uh, certainly in her uh, in her fight with uh, Elise Reed, which is kind of the first fight of hers I, I watched. But I think she's improving there. I think she's becoming somebody that uses the reach advantage she has on most of her opponents pretty well and is all too willing to clinch 
with shorter fighters that uh, try to get past her reach and and use that to get fights to the ground. And I also have a tough time believing that Cortez is getting better. She's at a, a point in her career where she should be getting better, but she's been a one fight a year fighter for the last several years. It, it says a lot that Cortez and Yazdavisius had the same number of UFC fights, even though Cortez got to the UFC two full years earlier. Uh, and here, taking well over a year off due to some injuries, and then, again, just a, a bunch of, uh, I guess, issues in, in her personal life. She may come out laser-focused and in the best shape and fighting the best she ever has with all new you know, wrinkles in her game, but it's hard for me to picture that. And... It's hard for me to picture her being able to just either outbox Yazdavisius on the feet for three rounds without getting taken down or threaten Yazdavisius with submissions and, you know, enough to either win rounds that way or make Yazdavisius leery of wrestling with her. So I think Jasmine Yazdavisius wins this just by doing what she does in every fight, give me Jasmine Yazdavisius to win two rounds out of three to get takedowns uh, on Cortez. And, you know, Cortez may be stuck trying submissions off her back while Yazdavisius just kind of chips away with ground and pound, slowly advances position. But yeah, give me give me Yazdavisius to hand Cortez her second official loss on Saturday. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the biggest thing I have with this fight, it's 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 a really even fight. You have a star in Cortez who has that Hispanic roots where they're trying to, you know, they put it on a Hispanic show. Uh, she's undefeated. She's could. I mean, I'm not saying she's going to win the title one day, but like, it's not out of the realm of possibility for her. She's extremely attractive. Like she's everything you'd want in a star. Mm -hmm. I, I know she's kind of killed herself by not fighting a lot and she's not like brash. So that kind of, you know, she's not, you know, she's not talking a lot of trash and stuff, so that's kind of not getting her a lot of attention either. But, you know, what she does, she's – and she's not the most exciting fighter. She's a very wrestle-heavy kind of fighter. So, uh, she's, but, but, she's, but She's Paige Van Zant a couple shades darker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. She, she she definitely flaunts her body like Paige. Not <laughs> no one flaunts her body to the extent that Paige does. But, yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Like, she could, she could be uh, – when we say Paige, so before somebody gets at, at Ben, like he's he's talking about like Paige before she got smashed by Rose Namunas, like when there was still that, yeah. you know, she was yeah. at that time. She was, I think Rose was her first yeah. sauce. I don't remember, yeah. but no, I, yeah. I think so too. But you know, where Paige was obviously a superstar in the making, but her personality was just kind of genial and polite. Like certainly she was willing yeah. to to leverage her looks, and her actual fights were kind of grindy. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I, I think that was a really good good uh, example. Uh, so this should, this fight should be third from the top. Like, no, 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 I think that, I, why it's under fights like um, Nelson and, and people like that just makes makes no sense to me. And uh, Cortez is a is on the feet. She's a high output volume striker, moves well, good footwork, uh, works by a very good jab. Uh, she likes to follow it to the pocket where she unloads power shots. Uh, good variety in her striking. Uh, she throws a lot of kicks, though she'll often throw a lot of naked leg kicks. Uh, she's also very hittable, and that that's because she doesn't move her head, and also because she's constantly moving forward. She gets hit a lot. 
you mentioned Paige Vincent battling clinch. She likes to do the same thing. She likes to close this battling clinch. She's very physically strong, uh, even though she's not big for the weight class. Like Jasmine, she's, and she's not small, but I mean, like she's not one of those ones you look at her and you're like, "Wow, look how big!" Like how, you know, look at her back muscles, stuff like that. That's not that's not the case with her. So uh, she just understands positioning and everything. Good dirty boxing. She will wrestle like a lot. Nice drop steps. Good good at timing her entries. Good at winning scrambles. Strong top control. She is a submission threat. She loves like the head. Chokes, the uh, guillotines, the barbell chokes. Uh, she shows some good submission defense against a good, a good fighter like Melissa Gatto. Uh, a good submission artist, Melissa Gatto. Uh, she's not the best defensive wrestler, though. Um, it's technically slightly, like second nature to her. It's like, so, like, she doesn't have a rest, you know, like, she's not a wrestler, but she, she she's someone who wrestles. So that's why she doesn't have the greatest takedown defense. Uh, and if she's put on her back, she does struggle to get back up. Now you move over to Jasmine, uh, Jess Vicious. She's, she's very big for the weight class, long and lengthy, very physically strong. Uh, she likes to bully her opponent's back, using volume and pressure to get them on their back foot. Long jab. Uh, she can stand a little tall, which which is an issue. She's been hurt to the body before. Uh, when when she will clinch, she, she's so good at pressuring and, and using her knees, uh, her height to you know, get a good position and then batter with knees. She she will get the fight to the ground with like body lock takedowns, trip takedowns. Just one of these ones like she's not gonna blast through you and take you down. She's just gonna wear on you and then finally get you down. Uh, very good top control. Uh, I mean, go back to like her last fight, Miranda Maverick. Miranda couldn't get her off of her. Like she she had no answer for the takedowns and, and getting back up. Good ground and pound. Uh, we saw like really good ground and pound against Miranda Maverick. Uh, but the one big issue is she's gonna be such a ground fighter. She doesn't she doesn't have a submission. I mean, she has a submission. I think she has a submission, but she's not a, she's not a submission threat, you know. Uh, Jess Fish is a, is a dog. Uh, you know, she's she's very intelligent. She knows what she does well, and, and she may, she usually puts in a position to win. I, I thought Cortez was going to be a big favorite. I thought Cortez was going to be like at least a two to one favorite based on you know her undefeated record, which always kind of gets a little bit more pump, uh, the bigger name value, uh, a lot more buzz. So. You know, I don't. I don't look at the better lines. We've talked about this before. Sure. So I was. I was kind of hoping she'd be a big dog. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. This would be a big favorite. So Just Vish would be other dog. Because I'm with you, man. I'm going with the other dog. So this is going to be the Shill and Duffy consensus un- underdog pick. Uh, I I think that whoever wins the it's going to be a wrestling battle. Whoever is the better wrestler, and I'm not sure who is. But. I think Cortez is finally going to face a fighter that she's not going to be stronger than and, and be able to bully. And I I don't think it's that's the case the other way. So I, I think Jess Vision's going to win the, the grappling battle. I think she's going to wear on top. I think she's going to ground and pound. Uh, give me Jess Vision's by decision. All right. There you have it. Your first and maybe not your last unanimous Shillin and Duffy upset pick at uh, Noche UFC. Men's flyweights take the cage next as Edgar Jairez and Daniel Da Silva both look for their first octagon win. Jairez, the 27-year-old Mexican, is 10-5 and overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC. He made his debut back in July at UFC 290, taking on flyweight super prospect Tatsuro Taira in a planned 130-pound catchweight and coming out on the wrong end of a unanimous decision. He's back in the cage just barely uh, two months later, looking to get it back against Da Silva, who is also looking for his first 
uh, win in the UFC. The difference is he's had four tries. Uh, <clears throat> he signed with the UFC almost two full years ago. Since then, he has lost to Jeff Molina, Francisco Figueredo, Victor Altamirano, and CJ Vergara, all by stoppage, all within the first two rounds. The most recent of those, the Vergara loss, was at UFC on ESPN Vera versus Sandhagen back in March, where he got knocked out uh, late in the second round. I do not know who Da Silva has naked pictures of to get his fifth try here. Obviously, the shoot box Diego Lima affiliation goes a certain way towards getting a second and third chances but again this is a fifth chance needless to say he is not favored to get it done here uh Jairez is minus 225 or so to Silva plus 180 on the comeback when you're talking about two guys Keith that are collectively winless in the octagon you kind of have to go to the nuances well you know what else can we take away and what I can take away is Edgar Jairez may have lost to Tatsuro Taira, but he made him look vulnerable and he put up a hell of a fight and actually had him in a bunch of trouble late in the fight. And yeah. that's against someone in Taira that, again, is as bright a prospect as there is in the lower weight classes in the UFC. Whereas De Silva, he's had four chances now against four fighters, none of whom are great. And all of whom are like none of the guys that have beaten them are ranked or even really in danger of being ranked. And they're all very different types of fighter for the most part. And he's had next to nothing for any of them. Uh, I went back and watched all of Daniel De Silva's UFC fights to just kind of, I, I wanted to, to take better notes about him and just be able to say, what's gone wrong for this guy in four fights? Because in a vacuum, if you just watched him at an open workout or you saw the little 15 second shadow boxing thing that, will play as B-roll while they're talking about him, you think, oh, I mean, this guy looks like a pretty good flyweight. He's he's young. He's got a very athletic build. He seems fast and fluid. So what the hell goes wrong when they put the pin in the cage door behind him? And the answer is everything. It's... <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's... It, it reminds me a little bit of what I was saying about Blood Diamond both ahead of and coming out of the UFC's Sydney card, where it's hard for me to believe that a team as reputable and as stacked with good fighters as Shooter Box Diego Lima has a 27-year-old decently athletic guy as poorly prepared to defend himself after this many fights as Daniel Da Silva. Uh, I wouldn't say decent. I think a very good athlete. That's a crazy thing. He was rare. He's got a lot of like very athletic skills. Just it's I think it's in here. It it, it may be. And you're you're kind of pulling around to what I was going to mention. Because it's not quite like he is porous defensively. Don't get me wrong. Uh he's he's ag uh, aggressive to a fault on the feet until somebody hurts him and then kind of his psyche goes out the window. But to open fights he tends to be very aggressive. Uh he throws things with power but he's porous defensively on the feet like poor head movement doesn't bring his hands back well he's it's kind of like what i will always say about uh, julian arosa okay oh julian arosa uh, got knocked out yeah, yeah yeah it's 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 not like julian arosa where it's just live by the sword die by the sword i have all the offensive weapons but 
whatever you do offensively, you're going to have a chance for it to work on me. With the Silva, it's worse. Like, all of his opponents have tagged him solidly on the feet, and he doesn't react well to getting hit. It's not a thing like Damon Jackson or Nate Landwehr or Julian Arosa, where if he's not knocked out cold, it just makes him bite down harder and swing harder. De Silva kind of melts. And it's similar when things go to the ground. Uh, he is a very good offensive submission grappler, but he's super vulnerable. He comes out uh, on the wrong end of scrambles or he gets stuck in a position where he's still thinking of scrambling and taking the back or going out the back door. And his opponent's like, oh, there he is. And just starts busting him with hammer fists and punches. Uh, he just hasn't put it all together yet. And here, I, I mean, never say never, but he's, presumably fighting for his job. I feel like I've been saying that about all of his fights for a year now, but he's a guy that is, he just barely turned 27. If he gets cut and he sticks it to the box, Diego Lima, he could go back to LFA, get a bunch of fights on LFA cards in, in Brazil and be back as more of a complete product. I agree that a lot of what's wrong with him is here between the ears where he just doesn't react well to adversity it's I I'm I'm concerned about his cardio. The one time he's been past the second past the midpoint of the second round in this the Vergara fight, he was not the fresher man and Flyweight does not tend to be forgiving of people with bad gas tanks. But he's at shoot a box Diego Lima. If there's one place where I would send a guy that is athletic and has all the offensive skills, but is a bit of a head case and isn't durable. Well, this guy does presumably have to bow to Charles Oliveira every time he walks into that gym. I just, I haven't seen it yet. And again, I'll never say never given the example of uh, Oliveira, but here I think Jairus is probably going to knock him out on the feet. Uh, I think Jairus' best work is done on the ground. I think he's a surprisingly good offensive wrestler. Just, for his background and experience. I think he's a, a good opportunistic grappler who's also good at uh, like securing position and being more of a, of a button down top position grappler. But before any of that happens, I think we're probably going to have a wild slugfest on the feet. And I don't think the Silva gets out of it. Give me Edgar Jairus by first round knockout here. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting fight. Um, so Daniel Lucero, I mean, that's a guy that I, I was completely wrong on. When he first came in the UFC, I thought it was good. Like I said, he has all those raw tools. He's fast. He's he's athletic. Like, I thought he was going to be really good. It's just it's not the case. I mean, uh, you're right. Why he still has a job, I don't know. I mean, he's exciting. Like, I'll say that. Like, his, his, his fights, uh, they're not boring. Um, his skill-wise, he, he fights out of both stances. He's got high output, a very slip-and-rip style. Uh, he's got pretty good head movement. He, he's he got good pop. Uh, I mean, all of his wins are by finish. He loves teep kicks. He loves spinning attacks. He loves spinning wheel kicks. He kept hitting CJ Vergara in a fight that he lost, but he kept hitting him with, like, spinning wheel kicks. Uh, but he's, I don't know, something happens. He got hurt to the body against Victor Almirano. He's, he tries to wrestle, but he's a weak offense wrestler. He's a weak defense wrestler. He'll shoot from way too far away without any setups. Uh, he's relentless to try to get the fight to the canvas even then. Uh, you know, he can slam you and, and lift the hips. And he's aggressive with his ground and pound, and he's got six sub wins. We just we haven't seen it so far in the UFC. Uh, we've seen him try to wrestle. 
he plays a lot of BJJ off his back, though. He's like he was subbed by quickly by Francisco Figueredo. Uh, he was ground and pounded by Victor Altamirano. Uh, due to his style, he really gassed out. I mean, he looked he, he gassed out quick against CJ Vergara like in the first round, and they got batted because of it. Uh, that's probably the biggest issue is his cardio. Like, just, maybe he's, he can, you know what he should do is leave leave uh, leave that team and, and hook up with. Uh, I can't think of his name right now. I, this is gonna be terrible because he's the best coach in the world. Uh, Justin Gaethje's coach there. Uh, Trevor Whitman. Trevor Whitman, yeah. Who like just got Gaethje to like slow everything down a little bit because yeah. now obviously I'm not trying to bash Shoebox. Yeah, like that's like a top five team, top ten team in the world. Yeah. So and, I was and just kind of Trevor Whitman. It, is it even really a team? It feels like it's an invitation only him. thing. Where yeah, he's yeah, got, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's it's got like four students. <laughs> yeah, they're all, but they're all superstars. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This guy, like, he's not getting. He, he knocks on the door, and, and Trevor Whitman, <laughs> new new phone, who this? <laughs> you know, um, uh, Charez, you know, he's a well-rounded fighter. Uh, he's you know on the feet, he's a pretty good striker. Works behind a crisp jab. Uh, he throws a lot of kicks. Kicks are a big part of his game. Though he'll also throw them naked, which I don't like. Uh, he avoids strikes uh, by L stepping, which is one of the things I do like. He's always kind of like changing the angles on his opponent. Uh, but he is he is hittable, and that's because he lacks head movement. If he can add that to it, uh, it'd be much better. Uh, but you mentioned he wants to get the the ground. He's he's a good wrestler. Um, uh, well, he, well, he will wrestle. I want to say he's a good wrestler, but he's relentless. Uh, he's definitely a good grappler. I mean, submission threat. You saw how he hung with Tyra, which is extremely impressive. Uh, he has six submission wins on his record. Uh, and then obviously against Tyra, who's a wizard on the ground himself, showed some really good submission defense. I, I, I'm not sold on Chiras. Like I don't. I'm not sure. Like if Chiras is because you know heading into the Tyra fight, I wasn't like that high on him. I, I wasn't that impressed with him. Just he just seemed like another guy to me. But you know he showed a lot against Tyra. But I'd say like you know it's, we've been fooled by that before. Where a guy looks really good against someone that's supposed to blow him out, and, and then they never. It's just like a one-time thing. So I'm kind of worried if that was the case. Uh, and, and, and like Lacerda has it too. Like Lacerda could starch him. Like that, that could happen. We could finally put it together. But until I can see Lacerda like be better on the ground, I, I I'm leaning Charis. Charis get the wrestling, uh, and the Lacerda's gas tank really bothers me. You know, I've seen Charis going hard. You mentioned it, like winning third rounds against uh, Tetsuya Tyro. In uh, actually, I shouldn't say I remember. I, I shouldn't say win the rounds. I don't remember the round, but like winning oh, no. portions. Oh, did he, win the round, he had the sure. mounted guillotine like late in the round. It was almost a 10 8. Oh, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, I just want to make sure I was, I was, okay, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, like, he's getting better as, as the fight goes along. So, I say, Char, Char I, you know, I'm going to say something like that happens again. I say, uh, Lacerda gets tired, Charis locks into submission, and Charis wins by third round submission when, when Lacerda's completely guessed. This is as good a time as any to remind the listeners that Daniel Da Silva's nickname, Mioju, is a brand of instant ramen in Brazil. It's basically, you know, Daniel Top Ramen Da Silva because, you know, he was so poor. The legend is he showed up in the gym the first day with just a huge backpack full of ramen. Yeah. Which is not, I, mean, I did too in college. I loved ramen yeah. noodles. Uh, me, me too, but like Daniel Da Silva, ramen is not durable. By the by, <laughs> the end of the second round, he's like that last packet of ramen where you open it up and it's just dust. Yeah, I, I, you know, I might disagree on that because I've had like ramen sitting in like a closet for like 
six months and just eat it later and it's still pretty good so i might have to disagree I, i'm sorry that i keep calling him. i know yeah just so is his real name but they call him lacerda too so yeah i, I think i would do what i was saying it's it's all over the place the ufc will probably call him lacerda we call him da silva just based on uh our brazilian sure. correspondent christian sign has interviewed him a bunch of times just asked him flat out what do you call yourself what do you want us to call you so, yeah but you know what who who matters more christian sign who's the Brazilian correspondent who can speak Portuguese actually asked the guy directly what his name is or, or what I say. Like, come on. Well, I mean, between like, you know, uh, at the bottom is Christian, you know, like speaking Portuguese and actually knowing the guy, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and then whatever. there's you and then there's you, you know, you're kind of an authority figure. And then the unpaid UFC intern that like puts the little titles on the screen obviously is like the godlike authority. So. You know, you're, you're who, who, did, who, who got him? He's working for the UFC, but he really like his his he, he wanted to like intern for college football or something. And he's just yeah. like, uh, yeah, we got another De Silva. Oh, his name goes by the start of two. Oh, OK, let's give him that. because That'll be easier to remember. You yeah. know, <laughs> we head now to the middleweight division for a matchup between Roman Kopolov and Josh Fremd. Kopolov, the 32 year old Russian, is 11 and two overall. He's 3-2 since joining the UFC as a former Fight Night's global middleweight champ. He lost his first two fights in the UFC. Since then, he's been perfect, racking up three straight knockout wins over Alessio De Chirico, Puna Soriano, and Claudio Hibero. The most recent of those, the Hibero fight, was at UFC 291 back in July. Uh, it was a spectacular head kick in the opening seconds of the second round. Uh, Kopolov has all kinds of momentum, and he decided to strike while the iron is hot. Stepping in on short notice for Chris Curtis, uh, who had been scheduled to fight Anthony Hernandez. Then uh, Hernandez drops out and in steps Josh Fremd. So we end up with a matchup made up of two guys that were never meant to be on this card in the first place. But uh, nonetheless, we have it. Fremd, 29-year-old Pennsylvanian fighting out of Colorado, is 11-4 and overall. He's 2-2 two and two in the UFC. And kind of like Kopolov, he got off to a not great start dropping his first two fights since then he is perfect with a submission win over Cedricus Dumas and a unanimous decision win over Jamie Pickett the most recent of those the Pickett fight was in August at UFC on ESPN Luque versus Dos Anjos odds here favor the Russian pretty heavily he's minus 300 fremd plus 240 Keith this is a weird matchup it's two guys fighting on short notice, short turnaround, <laughs> yeah, yeah. really had no reason to. Uh, yeah. Neither of them, neither of them had to be on this card. But once Kopolov signed, they were like, "Well, we need to get him a fight now." We yeah. end up with Kopolov versus Fremd, and it's two guys that would have been easy to write off a year ago, but all of a sudden are showing signs of life. The question in Fremd's case is whether it's just whether he's gotten better, or it's just a case of him finally running into the right level of opposition because debuting against Anthony Hernandez is a rough look. Treshawn Gore is not a finished product by any stretch, but he is a very dangerous fighter. And then Cedricus Dumas and Jamie Pickett are two of the lowest level guys in the division. So it may just be Fremd finally finding his Goldilocks spot where it's not too hot or too cold. Whereas in Kopolov's case, I feel as though he's fighting better. Uh, tell me if you see it differently, and tell me how you see this fight going. Yeah, I mean, I I, I logged into ESPN today uh, 
my ESPN Plus and everything to you know watch some some film and everything, and I get this notification that price was going up by a dollar. Uh, maybe that's why they're fighting. Like they need the paycheck. Now they they got the ESPN. <laughs> you never get that notification of price change, and it goes, "Oh, we'll save you a dollar. We'll go down in price." Yeah, you, you know. get that. Yeah, the UFC pay per view uh, is up. Um, this is actually, in my opinion, you know, you got guys on winning streaks and stuff, and you know, if the winner of this one probably fighting a ranked opponent, uh, especially if Kovalev wins. Yeah. This is another fight that's rises so low on the card. Like this one should be up way higher. I mean, I, mean, I know we kind of started to run out of room when even I say like, oh, this needs to be higher, this needs to be higher, but. Uh, is, is it because they look at Kopolov and they, they think it's Chase Hooper? <laughs> yeah, the Russian Chase Hooper. <laughs> um, no, if it was Chase Hooper, it'd probably be higher on the card. Kopolov, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, he's, he's a really big middleweight. He's, he's a good athlete. He's a southpaw, uh, very good very good distance striker. Uh, he's, he's good at well, – he's, he's an in-and-out striker. He, he gets in, he get, you know, gets in his range, pop up, gets out. Uh, very good, very um, – very sharp, like just a sharp technical striker. Fast hands, great jab. Uh, he follows up his jab with like clean punches down the pipe. Uh, a lot of variety in his striking game. Good kicking game. Throws a lot of kicks. I love his kicks to the body. I mean, he stopped Puna Soriano, who's, who's a guy that, you know, is pretty good middleweight. Stopped him with a body kick. Landed the spectacular high kick in his last fight against Claudio Habero. Uh, you know, the only negative really in his strike that I've seen is that he's, he's got clipped a little bit and in way back when he fought Carl Robertson, Robertson had a lot of success with the calf kicks, which I haven't seen too much against that since. Uh, he can wrestle too. He's got some nice entries, uh, but he isn't a submission threat. And if you try to take him down, he's hard to get down. Uh, and when he, the, you know, the, going back to that Carl Robertson, I keep I probably should take it out of my notes now, but like Robertson submitted him, which hasn't aged well. Uh, this Despite like really looking good, he has slowed down a little bit at times. Like even like he got a win against Alessio Decherio and, and got a late stoppage. He was actually slowing down in the third round, so that's a little concerning. Uh, Josh Rem, he's also a really big, massive middleweight. He, he's not a great athlete though. He's 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 more of a guy that's just technical and and, and volume. He's he's got uh, he's a high volume striker. Likes to push the pace, force his opponents back. You know, on the back foot, pretty technical. Uh, works behind a crisp jab, throws straight shots down the pipe. I like his check left hook. Uh, he's got more power uh, than, than I originally credited him when he first came to UFC. Uh, he, defensively, because of his style, he has been cracked a lot. Uh, so he has to clean up, clean some of that up. He has to get a little more, you know, better defensively sound. Uh, he throws some, throws some good calf kicks, though he doesn't check leg kicks himself. Uh, he likes to close the distance and use his size to grind the clinch. Uh, go back to like the Jamie Pickett fight. Uh, you know, he just beat Jamie Pickett up with a clinch, grinding him out for rounds. Uh, underrated wrestler. He has four submission wins. Uh, he loves that guillotine choke. Uh, Fred, Fred is tough, dude. He's a, he's a really tough guy, um, a guy that you know, I thought was a good addition to the UFC, but I think he's been a little bit better than I thought. But that said, I'm all over Kovalev here. Uh, I mean, the bat, I think the batting lines is right on. Uh, I'm high on Kovalev. I think he batters from everywhere. I think he lands something big and, and spectacular. I say he puts, I say he puts him out. Uh, which would be a, which would be quite a feat uh, and be a really good win, but I think Kovalev does it. Give me Kovalev by second round TKO. Yeah, I I like the breakdown there a lot. Uh, Kovalev, it it feels like underperformed a bit in his first couple 
UFC fights. Obviously, the Carl Roberson fight, as you mentioned, has not aged well. Even if Roberson was always a worse striker and a better grappler than his decorated kickboxing background would have led you to expect, that's not aged well. And then from there, Kopalov was gone for almost two full years. Since he's been back, he's been better. Uh, go ahead and insert here for the listeners my usual word of caution about athletic fighters coming out of less re well-regulated areas. It might have just been a matter of Kopalov kind of getting his chemistry balanced, if you know what I mean. But he's, yeah, he's turned into something like I had hoped and expected he would be, you know, over, certainly over his last three fights, the, the Kiriko, Soriano, and, and Hibero fights. You, the word you used, I believe, to describe his uh, boxing was crisp. Uh, I could not agree more. It Someone that it, he reminds me a bit of, and frankly, I'd love to see him fight, is uh, Mihal Olekshechuk. Uh, I do think he's just going to be too much for Fremd. Even if I've underestimated Fremd, uh, you nailed it. He's very big. Like, Kopalov's a good-sized middleweight. Fremd is a towering middleweight with a big frame he's a surprisingly good wrestler and it's not purely tall man wrestling like he will do like an actual shot from the outside and chain takedowns properly he's someone who clearly wrestled in, in college but i think he's going to be a step behind kopalov on the feet he's going to be at a, at a speed disadvantage kopalov i think throws harder definitely throws a uh, cleaner Frem's mediocre head movement and tendency to leave his, his hands down, I think is going to cost him. Uh, you call it Kopalov by second round KO. I'm going to say actually gets it done in the first round, just stings Fremd early, starts rolling downhill on him and makes a point. But if this goes past the first round, I think that favors Kopalov as well. Don't forget that both these guys are coming in on short turnarounds and short notice, but it's shorter turnaround for Frem than for Kopalov. Frem's going to step into the cage five weeks after missing weight for his last fight. So even if he makes 185, I don't, trust him, in the third, I don't trust him in the third round. That's a good know, point. On August 11th, he weighed in at 189 pounds, and then, yeah, he beat Jamie Pickett, but, you know, the rounds were individually pretty competitive. He had a pretty competitive fight with one of the worst middleweights on the roster after missing weight. Uh, I think Kopalov is going to feast on this man. And I agree with you, Keith, that he's probably staring down a top 15 type opponent in his next fight. And I think it'll be well-deserved. Next up at Noche UFC. And as the card is currently constituted, the top prelim is a strawweight matchup between Lupi Godinez and Elise Reed. Godinez, the 30-year-old Mexican, is 10-3 overall. She is 5-3 in the UFC. She is 5-2 at strawweight. One of her losses came up a weight class against Luana Carolina when she was trying to set the record for the shortest turnaround between UFC wins. She, back in 2021, she fought twice a week apart, won the first one, didn't win the second. So, yeah, technically 5-2 in her preferred weight class. She's on a two-fight win streak uh, since losing a decision to Angela Hill just a little over a year ago. She has decision wins over Cynthia Calvillo and Emily Ducote. 
The most recent of those, the Dakota fight, was back in May at UFC Fight Night Dern versus Hill. Godinez will look to make it three in a row, delight the Mexican fans. Oh, wait a minute. This is in Vegas. Anyway, make it three in a row and certify herself a rising contender in this division at the expense of Reed. 30-year-old New Jersey native is 7-3 and three overall. She's an even 3-3 three and three in the UFC and has alternated losses and wins throughout that whole time. Uh, she is coming off of a win. She took a unanimous decision over Jin Yu Fry at the UFC on ESPN Cara France versus Albazi card back in June. Prior to that, she got choked out by Loma Lukbunmi. That was back in February. So Reed, again, alternating losses and wins. Hopes to break that cycle here and pick up her first back-to-back -back wins of her UFC tenure. She is not favored to do so, however. Godinez is a whopping minus 450 favorite. Reed plus 325 on the comeback. Keith, uh, I understand why Godinez is a favorite. She's younger. She's more obviously athletic. Uh, she's going to have the support of the Mexican fans behind uh, Never mind. This card's in Vegas. Uh, tell me if th that line makes sense to you, if you see any underdog upside and how you actually think this fight goes. Yeah. <laughs> Mexican fan in Vegas, just like <laughs> some guy ordered tequila, you know? Like, <laughs> well, oh. you, you know, you know, they're going to be hitting you hard with the Cuervo and Modelo ads. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was, yeah. What was I thinking? Of course. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty dumb with me. Uh, yeah. So. This fight, this is, um, yeah, okay. So it really, to me, it comes down to what what Godinez decides to do. And, I, and, I, and I'll get to that in a second. You know, she's she's a wrestle boxer who's, she uses a lot of pressure. She's got really good output. She does well to cut off the cage and kind of trap her opponent. Uh, she works in the pocket, unloads really tight, hard shots. She's got some fast hands. I love her, like, step in right i mean she beat up uh silvano gomez suarez with it she's got really good power i mean look how she's built really steps into her shots she's a good good wrestler fast entries very physically strong gets on the hips and slams i mean she threw jessica penne around she threw uh suarez around she threw loma labumi around but most impressive is is the girl we always liked is uh Irene Conalosi, like she, she was taking her down, making it look like a takedown down. I mean, she had a duck on her in, in an MMA match, which is which is which I love. Uh, the problem with her is she's her own worst enemy, because at times she'll just forget how good a wrestler she is and not wrestle. Uh, I go back to the Angel Hill fight. Angel Hill was a great stylistic matchup for her, and she decided to have a kickboxing match her the whole time. Angel Hill is a weak defensive wrestler. She's had a weak defensive wrestler her entire career. Uh, the Cynthia Calvillo fight was a close battle because she just didn't go for a takedown and just had a kickboxing match with her. Uh, if you try to take her down, she's got a good takedown defense. and she's on top, she's got some really strong topside grappler, really good at following the hips and, and controlling. She has some slick BJJ uh, with that belly down armbar she had on Suarez. Uh, Elise Reed, she's a high-volume striker. She uses pressure well. Uh, you know, she likes to box, get inside, tight boxing, very, very crisp jab, nice right hand. Uh, it's got a little bit of pop in her hands. She has some defense holes. She keeps her chin a little too high, which is surprising for someone who's, you know, known for her boxing. Uh, she, she, you know, the other defense hole I really see is I get it. Like, she's she's open to calf kicks. That happens to a lot of people who are boxers. 
the head right there front leg. Uh, go back to like the Melissa Martinez kicking out her leg. She she can grind a little bit. She can get in the clinch and, and, and grind. Uh, she she, I started to think she was turning a corner in her grappling. Like she got some trip takedowns on Melissa Martinez in their fight. Had some good ground and pound, but then you just keep looking at her other fights. Just a terrible defensive wrestler. Uh, I mean, she, I just go back to this. I mean, she almost got subbed by Hilly Rose, who is not a UFC level fighter. I mean, she she lost to Luma uh, Lukumi, which is not a bad loss, but she gets admitted by Luma. That's 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 pretty bad. Uh, she's terrible at getting back to her feet, and then even like, in, in, like go back to like the Sam Hughes fight where she's losing. She should know where she got off the bottom. She's like playing like jujitsu off her back. So if Gordina decides to wrestle, this is a super easy win for her. This is wicked easy for her. On the feet, it's closer. I still favor her on the feet, and I mean that's why she. Would you say like, oh, five hundred, negative five hundred favor, negative four fifty? Yeah, like she should be better than her everywhere. She hits hard. She's faster on the feet, uh, but I expect her to be like just see it. Like I could just wrestle it, and why even get punched? So I say, you know, she she plays it on the feet for a little while. Eventually, she goes for a takedown, takes it down. I say she submits her in the second round. Give me Goodina's my second round submission. Yeah, I, I frankly don't have much to add to that. The the clash of styles, or not clash of styles, the clash of one fighter's strengths with the other one's vulnerabilities is so glaring that this fight really only needs to be as complicated as Godinez wants to make it. Reed is someone that I've actually underestimated over her UFC career. I really underestimated her coming in a partly because of uh, the Hillary Rose fight. It's, I'm, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm like, man, if there was ever a win, and I think it was even a title win, that told that tells me you're not ready for the UFC, this was it. But she got signed, and then it's been clear as day. So Jari Eubanks took her down easily and emphatically. And I would say repeatedly, but I think it may only have taken one takedown because I know she she mashed her in the first round. But Hughes grounded her easily, multiple times. Uh, Loma Lugbunmi, uh just just body lock and and threw her and took her back and choked her out. I mean, and none of those women are as good a wrestler as Lupi Godinez, not by a long shot. So if Godinez decides to fight to her best advantage and decides to wrestle. The only real suspense will come over whether this is a 30-27, maybe 30-26 washing, or she does get nasty and we get a ground and pound stoppage or a ground and pound aided uh, submission before the final bell. I don't feel minus 450 confident in Godinez just because she sometimes doesn't fight to her best advantage, but I'm definitely confident enough that I'm taking her to win here because best case scenario for Reed, if Godinez just decides the floor is completely lava and doesn't even try a takedown unless she's behind two rounds going into the third, I still think Reed maybe barely beats her. It's just a bad matchup. But yeah, give me Godinez to to fight smart, take Reed down early, often and emphatically. And you picked her to get the stoppage. That would be more than welcome considering that Godinez has to be creeping up on some records here as she's gone to decision in her first eight UFC fights, but make it nine in my book. Godinez wins a one-sided decision, 30-27, again, maybe 30-26. The Noche UFC 
main card opens up with a featherweight matchup between Fernando Padilla and Kyle Nelson. Padilla, the 26-year-old Mexican, is 15-4 overall. He is 1-0 since joining the UFC as the outgoing Fury FC featherweight champ. He debuted back in April at UFC on ESPN Song vs. Simone, where he knocked out Julian Arosa in like 90 seconds. Uh, he'll try to keep that momentum going with a win over Nelson. Uh, Nelson, 32-year-old from Ontario, Canada, is 14-5-1 overall. He is 2-4-1 in the UFC. It's been a rough run for him since joining the promotion just a little under five years ago. But he is coming in off of a win. He fought at UFC 289 back in June, where he took a unanimous decision over Blake Builder. Odds here, as you might guess, do favor the Mexican. He's minus 250. Nelson is plus 200 on uh, the comeback. Keith, on some level, you are what your record says you are. But having said that, is Kyle Nelson better than his UFC record? Is he better than 2-4-1 in the UFC? Yeah. And yeah, he's pretty good. Does, and does he get the chance to improve on that here, or do you see uh, actual upside in Padilla? <laughs> does he have a chance? He has a chance. <laughs> yeah, does he? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not really high on either of these guys. Uh, I mean, Kyle Nelson, he's 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 a wrestle boxer. You get tight inside, uh, nice right hand. Uh, when he gets in the pocket, he kind of whips his shots, gets some plus power. I'm not sure if he's a high volume guy. Like there's times he's like on the gas, pressuring the, the entire time, and, and that gives him the best chance of victory. The other times he's kind of gun shy, so and, and trying to conserve his energy. So I'm not really sure. Uh, he, he, oh, one thing I didn't mention about Sugar, I like that he burst the body. That's something I like. He's got some great calf kicks. Uh, that's the best part of his game, though he does often throw him naked, which I'm waiting to be countered. Uh, he'll close the distance and he'll grind in close quarters. Uh, he'll get in chest to chest and just wear on his opponents. He will wrestle. Uh, he's got four submission wins. Uh, cardio has always been an issue with him uh, because of his, you know, pressure forward and, and, and wrestling. But and to his credit, against Blake Builder, he he didn't he didn't slow down and he won that fight. So I'm still not like completely, you know, completely convinced to take out the you know, question mark on his cardio out of my notes yet. But uh, you know, and does this two or three more times in a row, I probably will. Uh, Padilla, he's a he's a high volume striker. He's extremely long and lengthy. Uh, presses action. He's always on the gas. Pretty technically sound. He keeps everything inside with tight boxing. Uses feints well to set up his shots. Just touches until there's an opening. Uh, yeah, I looked at he parries with his with his lead hand to kind of get himself into range. He's accurate. His left hook is definitely his best blow. He throws a lot of kicks, though he also throws a lot of naked kicks. Uh, I, I like that. I like that he um, gets the plum clinch. He's one of those guys. He initiates the plum clinch himself. Got some good dirty boxing. An incredible, uh, you know, before his UFC debut, an incredible elbow KO against Cameron Graves. He followed that up by starching Julian Arosa. Uh, he's not much of a wrestler, but he does have eight submission wins. This is a tough one. Um, what did you say the betting lines were? Padilla's minus two fifty. Nelson is plus two hundred. Yeah, I, I, I knew it was. If I'm a better. You know, and I want to throw a bet on an underdog. I, I don't mind Nelson just because of the wrestling advantage that he he could have. I'm still going to go with with Petit. I'm going to go with a you know up and comer. He, he's more well rounded. He's definitely the bigger submission threat. He definitely hits harder. Uh, I say he gets the best of Nelson on the feet. Uh, he stuffs enough takedowns to win a close decision. Give me Petit by decision. Yeah, I'm. 
the reason I asked, you know, if you felt Nelson was better than two, four, and one in, in the UFC is because I found myself feeling that way. Just he's not great, and he'll probably never be a contender, especially in one of the toughest divisions in the UFC, maybe the toughest division. I mean, hell, he probably he probably got his job saved because his draw in the UFC against Duho Choi, I and most people that I know of scored that one for Choi. One, uh, Choi got kind of an iffy point deduction in the last round off a clash of heads that looked to be pretty much equally both guys' fault. But even so, I thought Choi won all three rounds, so I just thought it was a 29-27 fight. But he got a draw there that may have saved his job, and then obviously the win over Builder uh you know cemented well i'm not getting cut now that's the bad news about the choi fight the good news is he really showed off his wrestling there because he took choi down he clearly came in with a game plan to take him down because he didn't have to wait to get rung up on the feet and then get desperate and go to his plan b plan a was to take choi down and he took him down with relative ease in every round slammed him a couple times and kind of kept him from doing Duho Choi things. If he embraces that kind of plan here against Padilla, I like his chances as an underdog. I still understand why Padilla is the favorite. He's, uh, I mean, he's young. He's a, a finisher. Obviously, the elbow knockout of Cameron Graves was fantastic. And Cameron Graves is a good fighter. Uh, I, he's someone I've watched since his amateur days here in Texas. He's a guy that I'm mildly surprised had, had not made it to the UFC or the contender series by this point, but just always seems to catch a loss at, at the wrong times. But like that win uh, definitely counted with me. And then the way he fought Julian Arosa and the way he finished Julian Arosa, that struck me as the kind of fight that eh, if they fight 10 times, they might go five and five against each other. And every single time it ends in the first round, Padilla may turn into another Julian Arosa type in the UFC where his physicality makes him kind of an interesting matchup problem. And he's aggressive, but so defensively porous, he can never count on him to string wins together, never makes the rankings, but is becomes a reliable bonus machine. But I could see Kyle not letting Kyle Nelson, not letting this get that exciting. Uh, I'm going with the upset here and I'm going with Nelson by decision. Uh, if he knows what's good for him, he's going to try to take Padilla down because I think from there, Padilla may be, he may have trouble getting up or he may just uh, spend too much time on his back trying to work from there. But I think he loses rounds that way. Give me Nelson to win two rounds out of three here, pick up a, I guess he's a two to one underdog. So a pretty substantial upset. But uh, if you're following this at home. Remember, it's the unanimous upset picks that you can take to the bank. Just because <laughs> I said, you know, like, give me my. I, I don't mind that. I don't mind the bet. I don't mind the pick at all. So, yeah, I, I see. I mean, I see value here because I see a clear path to victory for Nelson. He's yeah, I, I do too. A wrestler than Padilla is a defensive wrestler, but if Padilla starches him in ninety seconds wrestling ain't gonna help so yeah uh, we we both didn't pick it so it's not a guaranteed winner but i give my blessing i give my blessing to someone following ben's upset pick like i don't mind it because i was i was almost picked it myself so next up are the lightweights as daniel zellhuber takes on christos yagos 
Zell Huber, the 24-year-old Mexican, is 13-1 and overall. He's 1-1 one one in the UFC uh, since joining out of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He beat Lucas Almeida on the Contender Series, made his delayed debut last September, and picked up his first career loss, a unanimous decision at the hands of Trey Ogden. He came back this April and got back on track with a decision win over Lando Venata, and he will try to put that uh, first career loss further in the rear view against Yagos. 33-year-old Californian is 20-10 and 10 overall. He is two, sorry. 20-10 and 10 overall, 5-4 and four in the UFC. He is coming in off of a win as well, knocked out Ricky Glenn in just 90 seconds at the Pavlovich versus Blades fight night card back in April. Prior to that, he had back-to-back first-round losses to Tiago Moises and Armand Sarukian. So uh, he'll look to start up a new win streak here. He is not favored to do so. Uh, Zell Huber is out there around minus 250. Yago's plus 200 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, we just finished talking about a large, long, lanky, uh, featherweight Zell Huber, at least physically kind of feels like the lightweight version of that to me, just the young, rangy, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, Mexican prospect. What kind of upside do you see in him? And, uh, do you think he gets past this test in Yagos? Yeah. Yeah. I knew Mexico had so many tall people. Yeah. (laughs) For that, um, uh, Yagos is is uh, so this is a tough fight. Like this is a big step up in competition for Zell Huber. The like, Yagos is a, is a good veteran fighter. I mean, he's an incredible athlete. Uh, he he fights that way. Yeah, we've talked about this past guy who you know guy who's an athlete who fights and compared to a fighter, you know, who happens to be an athlete. Yagos is he's he's the athlete. Like he's he's a incredible athlete. Uh, he he likes to fight in both stances. Very good volume. Uh, Good volume, but he does these a lot of the wild, high, like out high draining energy moves, you know, strikes. So uh, he he tries to take his opponent's head off with a very like one single shot every time. Uh, he can overthrow his shots. Uh, he has a slip and rip guy, so he'll he'll slip and then th- like he'll slip a shot instead of just like land a shot when he's trying to knock you into next week. Uh, so he kind of load up on things. He fights at a wild pace. Like he doesn't know how to pace himself. Uh, he will wrestle. He's not a bad wrestler. He's got some mean ground and pound. He's an underrated grappler. He's a BJ black belt. Uh, he's got some good back takes. Uh, though he was subbed by Tiago Moises, but the, you know Tiago Moises subs a lot of really good people. Um, but the biggest concern about him is I think he has the physical tools. It's just his mentality. If he can slow things down a little bit, that won't tire out. I think he actually can make a step up and, and be a better fighter. Now Zell Huber, he's the raw. God-given tools. I mean, he's a, he's a really young fighter, so you know he can add the technique and everything. But he's just he's long and lengthy. Uh, that you know, use it well. He works well from distance. He doesn't like being pressed onto his back foot. He wants to be the guy uh, keeping his distance, using his feints to draw out attacks. Very crisp jab. He's got some fast hands. He's got some nice pop, and he's not even in this like power, you know, stage of his career yet. Uh, I love that he works the body. Uh, defensively, he has a very boxing style. He he avoids shots with shoulder rolls, uh, which you know it's I, you know I'm not a fan of. But Sean Strickland would tell me otherwise, <laughs> and he just won the title. So uh, he he also can he can also brawl a little bit, which I which I 
which is fun as a fan, but it's not good if I have a tall, lengthy fighter for the division. I don't want him to get in, into a brawl, but he'll 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 bite down his mouth sometimes and swing it out. Uh, he tends to get hurt in a lot of fights, even fights he he wins because of that reckless style. Uh, I like his kicks. Very good kicking game. Great high kick. Nice calf kicks. Uh, he loves to throw the question mark kick behind like a strike, which is which is really fun. Though he will throw a lot of naked leg kicks. Uh, he also grinded in the clinch. He uses his size well in there. Uh, he had an incredible judo throw in the contender series back in the day. Uh, strong ground and pound. He's got two submission wins. Uh, I don't have a strong read on Zell Huber yet. You know, he's he's beat some good guys. He lost some some bad guys. So. If he beats Yagos, I'm going to stop believing him. I mean, Yagos is a tricky guy. Uh, obviously, he's a, he's a great athlete. But I'm going to I'm going to go with Zell Huber based on, you know, he's younger. He could t- continue to improve. He's in the right place. I know he's been training with, you know, Extreme Couture, and that that team's on a roll. I mean, we talked earlier about you know best teams. I mean, is there a better team right now in the world than Extreme Couture? I mean, they they, they seem like to be doing everything right right now. So, and I'm sure there's somebody, but. You, you get my point. Like they're in a the club. They're they're one of the hottest teams right now for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we talk about best teams, I mean, they're someone picks someone tells the extreme guitar is the best team. I, I'm not arguing. If someone says American Top Team, okay, I'm not arguing. If someone says uh, City Kickbox, I'm arguing. But my point is, like, they're they're, they're that good. They're they're definitely the elite teams. So due to his age, due to his, his chance of improving, due to the raw tools he has, due to his great coaching, I'm gonna say Zell Huber. But I'm gonna say it's close. I'm gonna say Jargos uh, puts him in trouble early. Uh, give me Zell Huber by split decision. Yeah, I see this as probably a really close fight as well. This is a step up for for Zell Huber, as, as you mentioned. He looked flat out spectacular fighting in Combate and uh, like Hasahi fight fight league in in Mexico on his way up. Super raw, but as you mentioned, just all the physical tools. Uh, he looked good beating Lucas Almeida, who has subsequently joined him in the UFC on the Contender series, but. Yagos is nonetheless a step up, as, as as you mentioned. And I think you also said that if you beat Christos Yagos, you're really good. And that's, that is borne out by the fact that only really good fighters, for the most part, have beaten Yagos. His, he had a close competitive fight with Drakkar Close, no pun intended. But the people that have really blown him out, Tiago Moises, Armin Saruki, and Charles Oliveira, there's, there's no <laughs> stud, there. stud, stud, yeah. yeah, stud, stud, stud. And outside of that, what Yagos does has worked. And you said it, it all works off of athleticism and aggression. Here, what gives me pause in just going with Zell Huber almost by default is the loss to Trey Ogden. And it's not just that he lost to Ogden because Ogden is a wily veteran uh, who's already beginning to transition into, you know, his next career as a coach. He seems to be the guy that's picked up most of the the shattered pieces of Glory MMA. Like almost everybody who stayed in Kansas City after Glory MMA and fitness blew up has gone to train with uh, Ogden at Marathon. But it's how Zell Huber fought because that was one of the most bizarrely passive and agonizingly boring fights. I, I don't think anybody threw a strike for the first 30 seconds of that fight. I, I'm not big into MMA video games, but Zell Hooper versus Ogden, I mean, for at least the first half of the fight, it's what I imagine it would look like if you set up a mirror match with 
like two Caitlyn Chikagians against each other. Like for the first little while, nobody threw anything. And then it was both of them, like just throwing stuff that came up two feet short. I, Zellhuber should have been able to beat Ogden. And I think he should have been able to beat Ogden definitively and just, he had trouble getting even into second gear. He beat Lando Venata, but I still haven't seen him put together a performance since kind of stepping up to the contender series slash UFC level where he's put all of his tools together and into like one complete performance. And there's somebody I said that about on last week's card as well. And I wish I could remember who it was, but I have the same feeling about Zell Huber. Yeah, it, it may. Yeah. I don't remember exactly who it was, but at any rate, that's where the, the term too much too soon comes in for me because Yagos is a flawed fighter and at age 33 with as much experience at the UFC level as he has Christos Yagos may just be what he is, but I see this as the kind of fight where Yagos wins the first two rounds, either from actually hurting Zell Huber or just from Zell Huber being kind of inert and Yagos winning just by impressing the judges by being the one who's coming forward and throwing more. And then Yagos maybe having to hang on late as Zell Huber is the fresher fighter, but nonetheless does hold on and picks up what I guess is the second two to one underdog uh, win I, I've picked in a row here, but yeah, give me Christos Yagos to win by decision in a fight that Zell Huber and his handlers will probably really, really, really want back after this. Third from the top at Noche UFC is a men's bantamweight matchup between Raul Rosas Jr. and Terrence Mitchell. Rosas, at age 18, I believe still the uh, youngest fighter on UFC roster, is 7-1. and one. Overall, he is one and one since joining the UFC out of the sixth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He picked up that first career loss in his most recent appearance. He lost a unanimous decision to Christian Rodriguez at UFC 287 back in April. So he's looking to get back on track, regain that prospect momentum, and continue to work on certifying himself as something other than a future trivia question against Mitchell. 33-year-old Alaskan is 14-3 overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC. He joined back in July, brought an 11-fight win streak, I believe entirely in Alaska, into a matchup with super prospect Cameron Simon. He made it all of about three minutes before getting knocked out. Uh, so he's looking to get back on track here and certify himself as if not a contender, at least as something other than a stepping stone for uh, more heralded prospects, he is decidedly not favored to get that done as Rosas is the biggest favorite on the card, minus 600, Mitchell plus 450. Keith, I'm going to flip this one to you first, but considering that we have a whopping... Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll go. My, my notes are fairly <laughs> short here. So okay. I've, I've not bought in on Raul Rosas Jr. Uh, I don't think he'd even be in the UFC yet 
if he had his same record and was like 22. I think part of it was the curiosity of getting him on the contender series as a 17 year old. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and since then, I mean, he took it, uh, his win on the contender series is actually to me, his most impressive win, even though that was the first and only time that he's been to the final bell in a win because he had to actually fight into a third round against a resisting opponent who isn't UFC material, but is frankly better than any of the people that uh, Rosas fought in, in UWC. But that was, that was fairly impressive, but then he destroyed Jay Perrin, but Perrin just isn't UFC level. Like at this point, Rosas is, he's a very good grappler who is very impressive physically, especially for his age. He is a big bantamweight. I can't imagine he'll still be fighting at 135 pounds when he's 25 years old. But for now, he is a tall bantamweight with muscle on his frame. Uh, and at least in the grappling, a very strong grappler. Uh, he is He's not a Damian Maya finesse type grappler. He gets to positions. He elicits submissions with horsepower. Just even the way he, he tapped Jay Perrin, uh, he could have taken another three seconds of jockeying and adjusting and gotten a rear naked choke, but he just was like, I'm just going to squeeze this dude's jaw until he taps. And against the Jay Perrins of the world, it was enough. On the, on the feet, he has tools. I mean, he's strong. He has great reach. Uh, he hits hard when he hits, but he also has defensive lapses. I don't love his gas tank. The two times he's been to the final uh, bell, he's made it, and the wheels haven't completely fallen off the wagon. But I did not think he was the fresher fighter in the second half of, of the Rodriguez fight. Honestly, what I get from Rosas is a bit of a Patty Pimblet vibe, where Pimblet's famous out of proportion with his actual achievements and skills. It's for different reasons, obviously. Rosas, because he's so young. Pimblet, because of the, the personality and the look. But what Pimblet has when you when you boil it down is he's a very good grappler who is a bit of a liability on the feet and has shown to get tired late in fights. That's what I feel like Rosas is at this point. He will almost certainly be a different fighter three years, five years, 10 years from now. I mean, he's just 18 years old, doesn't even turn 19 for a few more weeks, but he's going against someone in Mitchell that is also big and is also a good grappler. Uh, Rosas Jr.'s best avenues to victory, the way he's overwhelmed his first seven opponents up to and including Jay Perrin may not work on Terrence Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell, you know, a tall, big framed guy, not a plus athlete. Uh, Cameron Simon beat him by just being much, much faster to the punch. But I don't think Rosa is going to be able to do that. I could see Rosa's getting stuck on the feet and resorting to low percentage ways to get the fight to the ground, which I don't think is going to work against Mitchell. I think if, if he really wants to do work on Mitchell on the ground, he's going to have to take him down for real. I don't think he's going to be able to pull guard, start from the bottom and get to a position where he can uh, threaten Mitchell seriously. And while neither of these guys is a great striker and Rosas might hit harder 
Mitchell might actually be better defensively on the feet. I'm, I've been teetering right on the edge of picking what would be the biggest upset I've picked probably in two years. And I'm going to say, screw it, man. Uh, give me Terrence Mitchell to upset the apple cart here, win a decision over Raul Rosas Jr. that leaves the 18-year-old with a ton to take back to the drawing board. Uh, he'll be back. The UFC will give him every possible chance, uh, you know, unless they decide he costs too much and they just sage north cut him. But, uh, yeah, give me Mitchell to win the decision here. Yeah, if that if that happens, um, yeah, he probably get – I mean, I don't know if they cut him, but they might have to, like, send him down to LFA on, like, one of those developmental contracts. They'll be calling, uh, my, calling my boy Mike Jackson and asking if he can make 135. <laughs> yeah, who's a 135 Mike Jackson? Um, it, it's it's <laughs> when we get uh, Rojas versus Perrin too. Uh, it, it's really hard to grasp this kid because he's 18. You know, I I seen he you know, he lost one fight. Everyone's jumping off his bandwagon. Uh, I get I get it, but he's I run around here. He's 18. Uh, he's he's a kid. <laughs> you know. Uh, he's quick on the feet. You know, he's 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 very strong for his age. You know, he's he's not as strong as Mitchell, and nor should he be. He's, Mitchell's like thirty three. Uh, his striking is really bad. It, you know, he looked bad in the last fight. He's aggressive. Uh, you know, he can fight out of both stances, but he's wild. He's a bit of a brawler. Uh, he weirdly wasn't throwing enough against Christian Rodriguez on the feet. Didn't want any exchanges there. Uh, he throws a lot of kicks. You know, he likes flying attacks, like Superman punches and knees. Uh, he can wrestle a little, like, but he's, he's struggled to get Christian Rodriguez down, especially in the second and third round. Uh, on top, he's got a he does have a he's got a good top game. He's got a smothering top game. Does advanced position. He's a good grappler. He's got some slick back takes. Uh, busy ground and pound. He he is a serious submission. I mean, you go back. He almost got a Sula stretch so far in the UFC. Uh, he. He does chase submissions that aren't there, which lose position, which is concerning. But I think that's a little bit of just like growing pains. Like he should, he should be able to control that better as he gets, as he, you know, matures. He he also is, he's not a good defensive wrestler, uh, and my biggest concern is he gassed out bad against Rodriguez in their fight. Uh, Terrence Mitchell, he's a huge fighter for the weight class. He's long and lengthy. He's not very technical. On the feet, he wants to get the pocket, just kind of explode some big shots. He has, he does have power. Uh, he he looks to wrestle a lot, but uh, he I wouldn't say he's a good wrestler. He's definitely more like a grappler. Uh, if he gets a takedown, he's he's pretty good on top. Uh, some good back takes. He is submission ass. He's got eight submission on his record. But if you put him on the back, he struggles to get there. I I'm with you, dude. This line is way off. Like, it, this should be a pickup fight. Like I. I don't know how you could watch Rojas's last performance and and be confident to, to lay you know those odds out there and people bet on him. It's got to come down to who's the better offensive wrestler, you know. Um, I I don't think it'd be wise for Rojas to strike it out with uh, Mitchell, who he's not a very technically sound striker, but he's. Um, yeah, he's not a very technically sound striker, but he's 33, so he's in those power stages. So I don't want to exchange, you know, on the feet with a guy like that. And I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm really torn. Like, I was thinking about taking the upset too, and I, I'm going to go with Rojas. You know, I, I expect he should get some advances in his last fight. Maybe control his gas tank a little bit. 
I, he's a guy that he could make improvements in his last fight. I don't think Mitchell gets makes improvements since his last fight. So I'm taking Rojas. Uh, I think he wins a grappling match. I, I don't expect him to catch a submission. So I say Rojas wins a very, very, very close decision. But I'm with you. I, on a side note, if I'm gambling and I want to underdog play, I'm with you. I Give me Mitchell, especially at those odds, paying out almost 4-1. to one. It might even be you know, 4-1 to one by the time the fight happens. No, so, it's more than 4-1 to one now. I, th- I thought he was – oh, I'm sorry. Rojas is minus 600. Mitchell's what, plus four fifty. Oh, I'm sorry. I yeah, thought it was he, so, he, for some reason I had three fifty in my head. Yeah. Uh, wow, it's almost five to one. Yeah. Wow. I, I I don't see who who's making the lines what they're seeing, like to in in Rojas to that. He. I I want him to win. I really do. Like I want. I, I don't find pleasure, and it seems so many people find so much pleasure in an 18. You, you don't. Oh, this is this North, is terrible. Cut's first loss. Oh, my people God. People are so gleeful. The nicest it. guy on planet Earth. He's like the freaking Tim Tebow of MMA, and people want oh, to see him that's lose. That's the perfect comparison, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people, you know what? I mean, side note, this is good. I'm going to preach a little bit. They see in, in someone like Sage Northcutt this good person quality that they don't have in themselves, so they hate on it. Yeah, that's why people hate on Tim Tebow. Oh, he was a terrible quarterback. Yeah, but he was a good person. You know, he was giving millions of dollars of charity. And you want him to and, – and the people who, like, want to see this kid lose because he's 18 and he's done more when he's 18 than people have done when they're 50s. Like, I, I, I don't want to see an 18-year-old kid get his ass kicked, you know? Um, I, I just – I think of Victoria Lee you when I think of this kid. I, and and I and, and I'm not I'm not speculating on what happened with Victoria Lee, so I'm not okay. So not speculating could be completely different than MMA. Whatever happened, so I just I hope I hope there's not too much pressure on this kid. That's all I'll say about that. So I'll take I'm going to take Ross. I'll say he wins by decision. That brings us to the co-main event of UFC Fight Night 227, a welterweight matchup featuring Kevin Holland and Jack De La Maddalena. Holland, the 30-year-old Texan by way of California, I think it is. It might be the other way around. At any rate, he's 25-9 and nine with one no contest overall. He is 12-6 and six with one no contest in the UFC. He is 4-1 and one at welterweight. Uh, he fought at middleweight for a while. He fought at middleweight during his surprising rise to prominence during the COVID year of 2020 slash 2021. But once he ran into the Derek Brunson's and Marvin Vittori's of the world, he decided his best future competitively lay at 170 pounds. So uh, he put on the old cowboy hat and took the long ride uh, 15 pounds down the scale. And as I say, since then, he's four and one. He's on a two fight winning streak. Those being a third round knockout of Santiago Ponzinibbio back in April and a first round submission of Michael Chiesa at UFC 291 in July. He will look to make it three in a row and continue to try to certify himself not just a fan favorite and general action fighter, but an actual contender against De La Maddalena. The 27-year-old Australian is 15-2 and two overall. He is a perfect 5-0 and oh since joining the UFC out of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He is on a 15-fight win streak. He lost his first two fights out of the gate, 
way back in early 2016. Since then, he has been perfect. Uh, he fought most recently in July at the UFC on ESPN home versus Bueno Silva card, where he took a split decision over short notice opponent Basil Hafez that kept his win streak going, but nonetheless showed him to be vulnerable in the eyes of some observers. He will look to put in a performance against Holland that restores the faith, restores some steam to the hype train. Keith, the favorite in this fight is minus 150. The underdog <laughs> is plus 120. Wow. Who are they? Now, first of all, I had to put my Texas hat on because you hey, mentioned Texas. I meant, um, yeah. um, whew, that's a good one because I, I was curious. I'm glad you asked me this one. Minus 150. Man, he didn't look good in his last fight, so I could see people jumping off Madalena and making Holland, but I'm going to say Madalena is the favorite. You are correct. Jack Della Madalena, minus 150. Kevin Holland, plus 120. Having said that, uh, tell me how you think this fight goes. And did you jump off the Della Madalena bandwagon to any extent? Thanks to the Hafez fight. Oof. Um, nah, I wouldn't jump. I didn't jump off the bandwagon, but like if he stops, you know, he pulls over and take take a take a you know people can take a piss break. I might jump on a different train, you know, if he stops <laughs> somewhere, you know, uh, you know, I don't actually. Uh, I was one of the ones on the recapture. Remember, I was, I was given a little bit of a pass. I mean, it was a different opponent, different, you know. Sometimes when you have this pressure, you're supposed to smoke some guy. You have this where guys are really going all out trying to finish the fight. You know, but this this is a step up in competition. I mean, th this is not just a step up in competition from uh, Hafez to Kevin Holland, obviously, but just, like, what he was already facing. Like, even going from Randy Brown to Kevin Holland is, is, is a pretty big jump in competition. We're going to find out right now. I mean, but, but I'll, I'll say this. Even if he loses to Randy Brown, it doesn't mean that he's not legit. I'm assuming, I mean, uh, Kevin Holland. It, because Kevin Holland beats a lot of really good guys. Um, Kevin Holland looked spectacular in his last fight, but then you always have to ask, like, how good was that win? Because, you know, is Michael Chiesa the same guy? Uh, Holland's a long and lengthy middleweight. He's a great athlete, very fast. He's got a good up jab, uh, nice, nice power in his hands good kicking game long kicks from distance uh loves his high kick good at falling kicks you know into the pocket and landing shots he covers distance super quick due to his length uh, i've said this before like one step he's halfway across the cage uh, i like that he gets in the clinch and he uses his size in there uh he loves to like box the airs which which we've talked about hurts really bad uh, he he hits knees in the, in the clinch really well um underrated offensive wrestler but a very poor defensive wrestler uh and struggles to get back up i was impressed with you know briefly uh, scrambling with with hasma Shemayev, but his you know he still gravy rolls and stuff like that but he showed us much stronger takedown defense against michael Kessa, which i like uh he has a submission threat especially like front head attacks he loves the darts jokes he darts to means he darts michael Kessa. Uh, he was subbed by Shemayev though uh, he has a great chin. I mean, he's been blasted by some good strikers, and he keeps going. Um, not the best IQ. Like he's 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 had times where he's been, you know, uh, 
stuck on bottom and you know he can't can't find a way to get back up and stuff um madalena is is a is a good athlete he's a great striker uh can fight out of both stances he moves well cuts angles offensively super well he's got some good vision uh he's a builder he tends to get stronger as the as the fight moves along especially in his last fight uh he's a he's a sharp striker he's very accurate uh throws good shots down the pipe short tight shots um I was sounding a little bit like a broken record because he's kind of in my mind, obviously, uh, from what we saw last weekend. But similar striking style to Sean Strickland. There's not a lot of tells. Everything's short. Uh, rips the body well. Uh, looks for elbows inside. He's got good power. He's got 10 KOs. You know, in the past, he, you know, he he's shown that he's not worried about length. I mean, he went against Randy Brown, got inside, knocked him out. Uh, didn't struggle at all, at all with the with the length. He is open to leg kicks because he's he's heavy on his front foot. Uh, he has a judo background, uh, so he can do throws. He also can sh- shoot from distance. Pretty good at winning scrambles. Has a very like funk style grappling to him. Uh, he loves if you try to take it out. He loves getting up like Granby rolling. Uh, pretty good takedown defense. Pretty good submission defense. This out of in, as crazy as it sounds, including the main event, I think I might be most intrigued by this fight. Um, I, I'm sad when I get five rounds. Be, I'm, I'm sad when I get a main event. Of, of like a fight by itself, because uh, I, I Madalena's stock has definitely dropped in a, few, a lot of people's eyes. Um, but Holland obviously can can talk and and you know he's been in main events before. I'm really on the fence with this pick. You know I Holland. I always have a hard time picking against Holland because you know his length his his power, his speed. Uh, he looks brilliant at times. I'm, I have a hard time picking against Madalena because I, I, I do think he's that guy. You know, I, I don't think he fell off. I think that was a one-time fight. And he still won. You know, people act like he lost. Maybe it's not that Madalena isn't that good. Maybe Hafez is really good. <laughs> you, you know? Um. Man, I I feel like I keep flip flopping back and forth because I feel like whatever pick I make, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really bad one. Um, <laughs> it, you know, I I just feel like I'm gonna get this fight wrong, and I'm just gonna be kicking myself because I, I you know earlier the week I was I was going with Madalena, then I switched to Holland, then I switched back to Madalena, then I switched to Holland. And I, uh, you know, the length of Holland is it was always an issue. The power is always an issue. I keep picturing like something happened, him locking on a guillotine or something. But I'm gonna take a decision. I'm gonna say Holland wins. I'm gonna say Holland wins by split decision. All right. Keith goes with uh an upset, you know, after I go with three upsets in a row, including just the Yeah, I can't let you steal all the glory. Jeez. The suicidally ridiculous, like, plus 450. No, I think think you might hit that one. Uh, uh, Yeah, I like this fight a lot as well. And I look back at the the Hafez fight, and there are a couple, you know, obviously, I think that's a card that I previewed alone, and they hadn't even made that matchup yet. So I went into it on the assumption that Della Maddalena wasn't fighting at all. He had been scheduled to fight Sean Brady, which was, I thought, a perfect kind of next step. You know, you go, 
well, Pete Rodriguez, Ramazan Ameev, Danny Roberts, Randy Brown. It's arguable whether Sean Brady's a step up from Randy Brown, but at least he's comparable and a very different type of test. Uh, you know, almost a polar opposite type test. Instead, he gets Basil Hafez, and as you mentioned, if Hafez wins his next five fights, all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, a decision win over him is going to end up looking pretty good for Della Maddalena. Part of the problem is that it's a split decision. I didn't think it should have been. I thought Della Maddalena pretty clearly won the second and third rounds. And if that's on his record as a unanimous decision, and everyone remembers that it was the, the best fight on that card, and I think they both got performance bonuses for it, all of a sudden it feels like barely a bump in the road on his way to whatever he's headed to be. But when you remember that it was a real competitive fight and it was a split decision, I, I think that that gives it a whole different complexion. I, I, I love your breakdown of Holland. Just his body, just his, you know, his actual dimensions, his height, his reach, his athletic gifts and his approach make it so that he has some weapons and threatens in ways that almost nobody else in the division does. And then the flip side of that is he has some vulnerabilities that granted, he doesn't always fight to his own best advantage, but even if he did, he'd never be able to completely get rid of those takedown defense is going to be a problem for him forever. That's what happens when you're a six foot three, six foot four welterweight and your pants have like a 50 inch inseam. Uh, people can get to your hip, your legs and your hips. Uh, I like your observation that wh whatever pick you make uh, has a good chance of, of looking really silly because, yeah, if I, you know, you picked Holland to win this. If I picked out Della Maddalena to win this, it's not because I think he's five times better than Holland. And the there's always a possibility that if Holland wins, he's going to do it in some spectacular way. In the same way that I don't ding Della Maddalena too badly for the competitive fight against Hafez, it's hard for me to give Holland too much credit for the win over Michael Chiesa. There was a time when tapping out Michael Chiesa in the first round would have been worth, you know, getting a medal pinned on you. But this was Chiesa that was already in decline, hadn't fought in like a year and a half. Frankly, I kind of wondered if he had transitioned to the desk permanently. Like it was, he did what he was supposed to. I'm going with Della Maddalena here. I think he's smart enough to kick at Holland's legs. I think he's smart enough to go for takedowns, at least at least enough takedowns to keep Holland thinking about that. If if he takes Holland down in the first round, then the next then for the rest of the fight, however long it goes, every time he faints a level change, Holland's hands are gonna drop. Holland already has an issue with keeping his hands too low. That just opens up other things for Della Maddalena. So I do think the matchup favors Della Maddalena just winning all three rounds in a competitive, really fun fight. But Holland has the power and the opportunistic quick strike submission ability that Della Maddalena could follow the game plan perfectly for 12 and a half minutes, and then boom, it's over in 10 seconds. If that happens, hey, I'm happy to be wrong when I'm learn when I learn something, but I'm leaning towards the favorite here. So give me Jack Della Maddalena by decision. With that, we come to the main event of Noche USC, a women's flyweight title fight between Alexa Grasso 
and Valentina Shevchenko. Grasso, the 30-year-old Mexican, is 16-3 overall. She's 8-3 since joining the UFC out of Invicta. She is 5-0 since moving up to flyweight. She had alternated wins and losses at strawweight, shown herself to be promising, but not quite over the hump. As soon as she moved up to the next weight class, she's been perfect ever since with wins over Jiyeon Kim, Macy Barber, Joanne Wood, Viviani Araujo, and most recently at UFC 285 back in March, Shevchenko. Grasso tapped out arguably the most dominant fighter in the sport with a face crank late in the fourth round, shocking the world. It still might be the upset of, of the year, uh, despite what we saw in Sydney last weekend. Here, she gets to try and pass the Matt Hughes test. The longtime welterweight great once famously said, of course, that you aren't really a champ until you defend. In order to do so, she'll need to get past Shevchenko. The 35-year-old Kyrgyzstani by way of Peru is 23-4 and four overall. She is 12-3 and three in the UFC. She is 9-1 and one at flyweight. Kind of like Grasso, but approaching from the other direction, uh, Shevchenko was one of the best bantamweights in the UFC with uh, losses only to Amanda Nunes, the GOAT. As soon as there was a 125-pound division, she went and picked up the belt that had been prepared for her, won her first nine fights in that division before running into Grasso in March. So Shevchenko will find herself coming out of the uh, blue corner for the first time in a long, long, long time. And we'll try to take back what I'm sure she thinks of as her rightful property. Keith, verify for me. You have not peeked at the odds for this fight. All right. No, no. Okay. Rather than call out the line to you, okay. uh, I'll first ask you who's the favorite. It's not a pick em. There's, there's definitely a favorite. Okay. Well, <laughs> Grasso won the last fight and won by stoppage, but I'm, I'm still going to guess Shevchenko's the favorite. You are correct. Shevchenko is the favorite. What's the line? Shevchenko is minus. Well, you gave me a little hint that it's not a pick em, so it, it can't be more than, like, negative 160, being that she got stopped last time, and and it wasn't like a fluke one-shot thing or high kick. You know, it was, wasn't the Leon Edwards losing the whole fight thing. I, I'll go like negative 160 for Shevchenko plus 140 for Grasso. You nailed it, sir. Uh, did Shevchenko, it really? You did. <laughs> nice. I, you, can, you can get Shevchenko at minus 160. I would say the median is more like minus 170. But there's oh, okay. several reputable so American outlets. What, 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 what? What would you what were you gonna say the line was? You gonna say negative one seventy? I was gonna say minus one seventy. Right. Then I didn't then I didn't nail it. You gave me some hints at everything, so I, I didn't. But, but it ranges from like minus one sixty to minus two hundred. There there are a couple of outlets where that's she's too big. A, a two that's to too big. And Grasso, yeah, around plus one forty. Obviously, I can still remember the night almost exactly six months ago when we talked about this fight in the immediate aftermath, we were both buzzing. It was, I mean, it was just a hell of a thing. It was one of those moments where you felt you had just finished witnessing something historic. Uh, 
I'm, I mean, really, I'm just going to ask you to tell me who you think wins this fight. I'm thinking of an interesting lead-in question. And, and now I'm like, why am I bothering to do that? This is one of the most anticipated fights of the year. Just tell me who the hell wins this and how they do it. Yeah, um, being the whole Mexico thing, you know, trying to get a lot of Mexicans out there in Las Vegas, that, that I think that definitely helps. Uh, Grasso, you know, being that's going to be like a home, should be like a home court type thing. This is a fun fight. It really is. It's 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 one. So many questions are going to be answered. Um, specific. Well, I was going to say specifically about Shevchenko. I think it's going to be answered by both of them. Like you know, it's going to. You know, if if Shevchenko wins, it's okay. It was was that a fluke? If if so, actually, maybe it's not true. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll actually give us more questions. I don't know. Um, you know, if she loses, you know, is she done? Is 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 her time over? You know, Grasso, if she wins, then. Wow, she really is the best of the world. And if she loses, you know, was it a Julian Pena type moment? Uh, that's just, I'm really intrigued by this. Grasso has looked, you know, obviously looks really good. She's you know, the world champion. Uh, what impressed me is how well rounded she's become. She's a good kickboxer. Nice, nice footwork. I, I like that her defense is to be away from strikes at all like she moves her footwork is, is a number one defense she's a bit of an in and out fighter it gets inside high volume uh you go back to like the carolina kovacavich fight she just smoked her with volume uh she's technically sound fast hands uh i was surprised you know how much faster she was than like viviana arusha she beat her with speed uh she bis she busted arusha up with a nice crisp jab she attacks with bursts and combos uh you know then gets out before she before this counters good kicking game uh, especially when she doubles the low, she'll go like high and then go low. Uh, very underrated offensive wrestler has great has greatly improved her takedown defense. I mean, it used to be a, a used to be a weakness of her. I mean, I go back to like the Carlos Spars fight. She lost because she couldn't stop the takedown, um, even though she was throwing up some submissions, uh, showing that you know a sub over Valentina Shevchenko uh, wasn't a, a fluke. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing that was like always a, a negative about her, but a couple of fights in a row now, I thought she showed some pretty good takedown defense. Uh, not necessarily against the last fight against Shevchenko, but like Shevchenko is a criminally underrated wrestler. Uh, but she's showed also showed that she has a cardio go 25 minutes, but she's getting a stoppage in the fourth round. She's getting a stoppage in the championship rounds. Move on to Valentina Shevchenko. Obviously, she's one of those well-rounded fighters in history. You know, I, I just talked about her criminally underrated wrestling, but most people would consider her a, a striker. Uh, she's a sharp striker, great variety of attacks, never really attack in the same way twice. She's good at changing her rhythm. Her her volume has decreased. That that's that's bothered me a little bit, but it's still pretty good. Like it's not like she's you know, she's fighting like Tyron Woodley had to fight in his career or Andre Olowski. You know, it's it's not as high of an output, but still still pretty good. She's explosive, she's good from range. She's so good at getting it out of range flawlessly without getting hit. Uh, some of the best feints in MMA history uh, where she's setting traps and then exposing later. Great at picking up her opponent's timing, even against even against Grasso in a fight she lost. Like the second or third round, she was really uh, having her way on the feet, you know, picking up Grasso's uh, striking. Uh, you know, not so much the first round, she kind of struggled, but then she kind of seemed like she got her timing. She's accurate. Uh, well, still one of the best jabs in the game. Uh, she's she's good at countering leg kicks. Uh, instead of like checking leg kicks, she comes in and destroys with like power shots, stepping in, trying to time. Like if you throw a naked leg kick, uh, one big concern I have with her, you know, we go back to, like, you know, she showed 
you know, she beats Jennifer Maya. She loses like one round. People have thought like, whoa, well, that wasn't expected. We expected her to smoke her. Arguably loses Talia Santos and then does lose Alexa Grasso. There's a lot of questions. You know, and, and I have my own questions. But one thing I am certain, like I don't know if she's declined. But one thing I am certain, she isn't. She can't strike off her back foot like you used to. She used to be the one rare person that you could pressure and it didn't matter. She just like gotta rock back in her back foot and kind of hold her ground and, and and you know, kind of a you know you did a you did a Lord of the Rings reference recently. I'll do one for you. Like uh, you shall not pass. Like this is as far back as I'm gonna go. And, and you could pressure and she could strike off her back foot. She's a good wrestler. Like a very good wrestler. We've seen it fight after fight. You know, she lands clinch takedowns. She can shoot through the hips. Good top control. She, let me rephrase that. She's a good offensive wrestler. You know, mean ground and pound. Good, uh, you know, good submission attack. She's got seven, I think seven or eight submissions that are on her record. The problem is her struggles on bottom. I mean, Talia Santos had success grappling her. Uh, Alexa Grasso uh, had success you know, uh, grappling her. And even Grasso, to regret it, when, when, when Shevchenko put her in some compromised position, at one point she almost had her, like, mounted, uh, just being mounted um, cru- in the crucifix, she she wasn't able to keep Grasso down. Uh, this is a tough fight call. I mean, it, you know, I don't know how, how many months ago, it was six months ago or something, this was like a no-brainer. Um, that's not the case anymore, which is why I'm so intrigued now. You know, you said you liked having a big favorite at negative thousand and squashing. No, me, I'm I'm intrigued by this. Like I'm I, I want to know who's gonna win. Um you know, if I'm watching college football, I wanna see Alabama and Georgia. I don't want to see Georgia versus you know, Zion Baptist college, you know. <laughs> uh I picked Shevchenko as my fantasy pick uh, right after I picked Bo Nickel in the first round. So is Shevchenko declining? Yeah, I th- I think she is declining. Uh, she's 34, I think. 35 now. 35, yeah. So she should be declining. And sure. this is a sport. It's 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 like that. It's like NFL running back. When, and, and not that not – I mean, NFL running back <laughs> declined 10 years even earlier than that. But what I mean is you're the best running back in the league to out of the league two years later. That happens. Chuck Liddell went from being – arguably the best fighter in the world to get knocked out by everybody two years later. Anderson Silva similar. We've seen it. Could this be happening to Shevchenko? I don't know. Possibly. On the flip side, Grasso looks like she's improving, especially on the ground. So we kind of have that escalated thing where I know they're going to pass each other soon. A year from now, I'm definitely taking Grasso. It's whether I take her now. Even in a fight where Shevchenko got stopped, she had Grasso in some bad position. She was winning heading into the fourth round. Like I had her up two rounds of one. I gave her the second and third round. She had her, you know, briefly crucified and it was landing some good ground upon where it looked like oh, she might even, you know, this is where Shevchenko does her thing and just shows she's so much better than everybody. She was having success, like jabbing and slipping back, like fading back and then coming back in uh, against uh, Grasso. I think we can see some of that. I can see some push kicks. She got to hold the ground a little bit more. Uh, but Grasso sli- slides inside. She's going to have to wrestle. 
Uh, I'm concerned that later the round goes on, especially at, at Shevchenko's age, but I'm going to say Shevchenko gets the belt back. Give me Shevchenko by decision. I love the breakdown there. Obviously, when we're having an immediate rematch of a big upset, as the first fight was, the question is always, who has more to take back to the drawing board? And are they things that they could realistically improve on? And was the outcome of the first fight something that the winner could replicate easily in a rematch? Is it like my, my go-to example for this will always be Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey, where in the moment it was, it was shocking. It was the unstoppable woman on whom the UFC at worst was hanging 50% of its future prospects with the other half being Conor McGregor at the very least. And while Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg are calling her a generational talent, talent, she's getting the break speed off her. And at the end of that shocking night, the whole thing was, well, yeah, it was a shocking outcome, but now that we've seen it, if they fought 10 times, it's going to look like that every time. Holm didn't shock the world. She just taught the world. No, this is what it looks like when you don't know, you don't have any footwork and you run right at a, you know, a great striker. You know, it's, it's the opposite, of course, is Sarah versus St. Pierre, where it's like he landed what may literally have been a one in a million punch. Mm -hmm. uh, here, you pointed out what I was going to go to first. Shevchenko was winning this fight. Yeah. And she made a mistake. Grasso capitalized. And once once Grasso capitalized, I mean, it couldn't have gone any better. She crashed the pocket, took her back uh, mid-spin, and Grasso gave her zero chance to redeem that mistake. It was a brilliant finishing sequence uh, on the part of uh, on the part of Grasso. Uh, you know, I, me I mentioned... Uh, earlier, Raul Rosas Jr. getting the face crank submission on uh, Jay Perrin. And I kind of dinged him a little bit for it. And here I'm going to do the exact opposite and praise Grasso for it. Because <laughs> in the case of Rosas, I was like, okay, this is clearly a guy that's just been able to use his physicality to overwhelm people. And, you know, he has good technique, but, you know, he, he doesn't always have to rely on it. He's got, he's just got the horsepower. In the case of the first Grasso-Shevchenko fight, I picture Grasso saying, okay, I've got the best fighter on the planet stuck. I am just going to squeeze as hard as I can and not give her an inch to do any Valentina-Shevchenko things. I don't want to even try to readjust and all of a sudden Shevchenko spinning into my guard from back control and crap, you know, hell, maybe she even steals the round back. Like Grasso was <laughs> perfect from the second. Her face second. was discolored from it. Yep. Uh, that's the thing. Shevchenko made a mistake, but it's not like Shevchenko was getting tired and Grosso just finally found the perfect moment. It was a mistake. Shevchenko's takeaways, her notes from that fight should be, all right, don't do that. Don't do that particular spinning shit again. Because otherwise, like you mentioned, just about everybody had given Shevchenko the second and third rounds. And was probably winning the fourth up until that point. 
I'm one of the few people that gave Shevchenko the first round. Most people, I think, uh, gave it to Grosso. It was close. It was, a, it, was a clo- it was a close round, but Shevchenko was well on her way to just winning a straightforward decision against another deserving challenger, and she made one huge mistake. I agree with you that Shevchenko is in decline. She's well, she's meeting the pack in the middle. She is slowing down just a little bit, and there were no Tyler Santos types no. in this division six years ago. Yeah. Like, the, that was the first time, you know, the Santos fight was the first time Shevchenko was, had taken on someone as big and strong and athletic as she, as she was. So, yeah, yeah the division. Uh, in, in the division. In the division. In, yeah, in, in, yeah at, in, at 125. Yeah. So, sure, Shevchenko is in a gradual decline. The division as a whole is catching up, but that's not why she lost this last fight. She didn't lose because she was old. She lost because she made a mistake. And I, I'm i not willing to bet on Shevchenko making that bad a mistake in back-to-back fights with the stakes being this high. Because the other thing about her is she's so kind of weirdly cold and cybernetic in her approach to fighting. Like, I mean, I love even, it. even her, <laughs> I love no, it. I, I, I'm, it's not a criticism. No, I know. Her. I know it wasn't. It gives her even like a kind of weird, creepy charm. Like her. Yeah, oh, yeah. She, she tries unique. to be personable yeah. at, at press conferences. And it, she, I mean, she sounds like Ivan Drago. <laughs> like, it, no, it, it's fantastic. Yeah. I've being stuck in an, elevator with her at ufc 262 i think it was i think it might have been the first time i was ever a little intimidated to be in the same room as a fighter mostly they're like male or female and she's like 125 pounds yeah well she was there to corner uh antonina so i, I think she may have been more like you, yeah you watch those um no, sorry to interrupt you but you watch those uh uh avenger movies yeah she's that real uh the real life girl yeah how she's like supposed to be like a russian like like secret agent type like but like that's valentina shevchenko oh yeah absolutely and and she was not really sure where she's from like we're not even really sure where she's from like yeah like eight different countries can kind of claim her she speaks russian but she's from kyrgyzstan and she lived in peru for a while like it, yeah, yeah. it sounds she's like in, the background she's training in super canada. Spy. yeah she's training in canada this week. like yeah. what's going on yeah um yeah, to me, it comes down to either Shevchenko has declined physically in the last how, six months and Grasso has continued to improve to the point where just Grasso is flat out the better fighter, or I believe that Shevchenko is going to make another mistake of that caliber and Grasso is going to be able to capitalize on it, on it as perfectly as she did the first time. That's a hard sell for me. So I'm going with Shevchenko to win this one. Give me Shevchenko by decision in a fight that probably looks a bit like the first fight, except for that one little hiccup. That's it. The Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 227, Grasso versus Shevchenko 2, also known as Noche UFC. I've been Ben Duffy. He's been Keith Schillen. If this is your first time listening or watching, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. We do our best to bring you a mix of actual in-depth analysis along with the occasional humorous or historical aside. Please do like, subscribe, uh, drop us a comment. Keith and I both man the comment section. Uh, We'd love to hear your take on these fights. If you think we're out of our gourds on any of these picks, uh, let us know or 
maybe I should say let me know since I'm the one who made the worst pick. Uh, but most importantly, join us for the recap. We will be live on the SureDog YouTube page about 10 or 15 minutes after the main event. Keith takes the captain's chair. We will talk about all of these fights in reverse order from the main event all the way down to that first prelim. We will talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something. We'll talk about what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers. And we'll be talking to you because the live chat on the SureDog YouTube page is open that whole time. So we are taking your questions, your comments, and your hot takes in real time. We have a growing community of friends that join us and hang out after the fights, and we would love for you to be part of it. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, disfruta estas peleas.